Welcome back to Exile on Bad Street. It's been a while, but we're back. And yes, it's time to take a walk back on the wild side. And uh, this will be a little bit shorter show than the past few shows. They've been more marathon type shows, but we're going to focus on just one month on this show. March 2002, where uh, we left off in January, February. We're going to pick up here in March, and we're going to take it all the way to the big show, Hardcore Hell, the two-night extravaganza, Hardcore Hell. So we're going to talk about that. And, of course, I am joined by two dear friends of mine. First off, we are going to be joined by the leader of the NWA Elite, manager of champions, and a true legend. We are joined by Jeff G. Bailey. Jeff, welcome back. Always a pleasure to be here. We got a big month to cover, Hardcore Hell. The first time we did it as a two-night event, and uh, what a big deal it turned out to be. That's right. Before WrestleMania was two nights, before Wrestle Kingdom was two nights at the Tokyo Dome, NWA Wildside was doing a two-night extravagance at the NWA Arena Cornelia, Georgia. So take that. So, yeah. And we are also joined by one of the voices of Wildside, and a man who's going through a renaissance in 2022. We have another man we're going to be talking about on this show, in Tank. But yes, we are joined by the Reverend Dan the Dragon Wilson. Dan, welcome back. Hello, Chris. Thank you for having me back. And how the hell are you, everyone out there in podcast land? We do have a big night. As Jeff mentioned, Hardcore Hell 2002 was a big I would say it probably was a big turning point in Wildside because it's really when the company started going in a very hyper-focused direction on, like, badass in-ring wrestling. And there was a lot of it, and the whole two-night deal, as you mentioned, we're innovators in a lot of ways. And, you know, it's not taking anything away from anybody else that did it, but God damn it, we're claiming ours. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's right, yes, and... As we talked about before, you know, in this era, Wildside was perceived by a lot of the fans as the best, like, independent wrestling promotion around because of their week-to-week television, which, I mean, what independent wrestling groups had week-to-week television in 2002, and then just the way everything was progressing, angles, talent, I mean, it felt like a true like territory type thing. It felt like, you know, like watching the old USWA and shit like that. And, uh, yeah, it was just a great time. Great time in wild side history and a lot going on. And, uh, we're going to get into that here as we start with March the 2nd at NWA arena. And this is for TV spanning from March 9th through the 16th. Dan Wilson announced in a promo that aired on March 9th that the lost boys were injured by blackout on the last TV taping and would be out of action indefinitely. Well, they, like we talked about in the last show, they got the shit kicked out of them big time by Blackout. And, I mean, basically, Dan, this is just a way to sell that this was a a big injury, I'm going to say injury angle, but a big angle. And then, you know, when they come back, you get the surprise pop, blah, 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 blah. Am I correct on that? Absolutely. The Lost Boys had this 
a little sprinkling of a supernatural element to their characters. We didn't go over the top with it, but, you know, just enough. And so uh, we wanted to really sell it like Blackout just fucking crippled them and took them out of action forever. But because they're uh, products of Jim Mitchell and made a deal with the devil, they were able to come back from such a beating. And of course, it also plays into them being heroic baby faces, although the execution is a little different when it's a character like that. Uh, so, yeah, that's absolutely what that was about. And just to put steam on that build to that big tag team ladder match that we're getting to. Absolutely. Yes. Caprice Coleman cut a promo backstage about his issues with Jason Cross, and he said that it's time to end this once and for all. Caprice said that Cross doesn't believe in himself because he has Jeff G. Bailey's always talking for him, which makes him different and better than he is. And Jeff, this is a strong promo by Caprice, who, as we talked about in the previous shows, is a, you know, a tremendous promo, still is today. And uh, this is a great direction to go in this rivalry, especially, you know, you always bring up that the heel always has the manager do his talking for him. He can't talk for himself. The manager does all of his talking. So what is he? Is he it, it, how good is he really if he doesn't back it up himself? Yeah, Caprice got all deep and philosophical with this one. I mean, he had a little more in there, you know, based on the same kind of subject matter of Jason not believing in himself and Jason not trusting himself and uh, like trying to get into his head. I thought it, I thought it was really strong and it was it was really it was a smart promo, which uh, you know it was different from than Caprice's usual braggadocious stuff. I mean, he was really getting in Jason's head, and I thought it was a pretty effective promo. Absolutely, yeah. You, Caprice is is adding more depth to his character at this point in time. That he he's not doing all the shtick, so to speak. This is just you know a straightforward psychological promo, and it, it was very effective. And what was uh, trying to be done here to advance the the angle along. And uh, yeah, we'll talk more about this as we go along in the show. All right, so we go to the ring now where Rip Michaels joins Dan in the ring talking about he's the rifle number one contender in AJ Styles' wild halfway title, not David Young, because he was the one that carried David all those years in bad attitude. Rip did talk about how the only reason he lost the title to begin with was because of David's help. He demands a title shot. Rick then said that he would be in Nashville on March the 9th for AJ and David's match, and he would make his presence known. And... Rick's got a lot of valid things to say here, Dan. I mean, David was one of the one of the reasons why he lost the title, and he could say that he was the leader of bad attitude all those years. So, yeah, it's a heel talking shit, but he does have some things behind him that you can make you go, okay, maybe he's right. Absolutely, it's a different kind of heel. You know, you have your your liar bullshit artist heel who just lays it on thick but then you also have a guy like rick who i mean he is that but also when you when a heel believes in his own convictions and is not just trying to work the system and is not just trying to be a weasel but is actually like motivated for the behind the reasons he's doing shit i mean that's that's another great kind of heel and you see it in uh, movies and TV a lot. I mean, Magneto and the X-Men is always uh, 
one of those types of heels that like they truly believe they're the good guy. And in this case, Rick believes he's right. He believes he's justified. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Jeff, you, of course, you have experience in doing these types of promos. I mean, that's that's the one of the key parts of being a heel is you believe you're supposed to believe everything you're saying is true. Not to mention, it's it's real stuff you're playing off of. It's not something silly, wrestling, made-up storyline thing. He's talking about real things. We were champions. We lost these titles. We won these titles together. I mean, it's all playing off real stuff and their travels together. And it feels real with Rick and David because a lot of it was real with Rick and David. I mean, they had a real love-hate relationship, and it came through in their promos with each other. Absolutely, yes. All right, so we had a match that didn't make TV. Johnny Curtis over Chi-Chi Cruz. And, again, two guys from out of you know, out of the area coming into the arena and getting work. As we talked about before, you know, in the previous shows, how that happened. These guys were based out of the Northeast, of course. And, uh, I mean, Chi-Chi Cruz, he's been around for a long time. And, uh, you know, Johnny Curtis, for people who may not know who, who he would become, Fandango. <laughs> That's the future Fandango. Yep. So here he is. I remember. Yeah, well, it's 2002. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I remember Chi-Chi Cruz being well-liked by the locker room and everyone loving his name. I remember Blackout specifically talking about Chi-Chi Cruz for weeks after this. Um, but then Johnny Curtis, he was memorable initially. He got over with me and Andrew Thomas and Jeff even, I believe, because he came out to fucking Black Betty by Ram Jam. <laughs> oh, that's classic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it took him a while. You know, he he, he paid his dues, but yeah, he eventually became... You know, a pretty big deal in WWE years later is Fandango. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not an overnight thing with folks sometimes. Some folks it is. They, 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 they you know, start wrestling on an indie level and get signed fairly quickly. And then sometimes you, you're out there. You're grinding. And then you finally get discovered and, you know, get an opportunity and make the hay for yourself. So uh, he's, he's a case of that. So, uh, yeah, so here they are in 2002. All right, Blackout, Rayman Homicide against The Rage, Mike Pittman and Scott Cage. The Rage got some offense in for about 30 seconds before they got destroyed. We missed a wild dive, wild missed dive to the floor by Pittman due to the camera focusing on Homicide and Cage brawling. Total mercy killing. For Homicide would cut an expedite field promo after the match, demanding any team that tried to challenge them would fall. Pim and Cage crawled back in the ring for more and got destroyed again. And, Jeff, I mean, this is to, a, a match to get Blackout over as the for, further over as these killer types beating up these two skinny white boys. It's really great because Pittman and Cage had been getting their chances on TV as young lions proven themselves and here they are in this big tag team match as a team and they get murdered by the dominant champion team and I mean you can tell 
when two guys want it really bad and are really hungry because these guys took that ass whipping and there was plenty of opportunities for them to lay on the floor and be done, but they kept getting back up and getting their ass kicked some more. And I just thought they're making the most of this opportunity, even in a squash match, you know, I mean, they really put all of their heart into it and uh, boy, I hate, we miss that dive because you know that it was insane and he took some crazy ass bump off of it. Yeah, it looked wild. And there's a lot of dives that takes place in, uh, on this month of shows we're going to talk about here. A lot of guys just <laughs> flying everywhere. Well, outside definitely was all about the flying. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, these uh, these dudes were, were going out there and, and trying to impress. And that's the thing, Dan. I mean, he, just, just the fact that they, were, that they got the shit kicked out of them, but they came back in wanting more. I mean – even that, that little step right there, you know, that, that says something to the fans like, yeah, these guys, they, they, they have a chance to maybe one day be able to beat a team like Blackout because they have heart. Absolutely. Uh, that, you know, and they were a team that we were looking at maybe down the road could do something with, but right now we needed a a sacrificial lamb for blackout. And so by doing that, they proved that they could possibly be that team. We did something later down the road and also get over what we needed to get over that night. Of course, Pittman was a trainee from the wild side school. Uh, Scott cage was a middle Georgia guy. We see a few of these middle Georgia guys. Um, Sal Renaro also lived in that area. And there were a bunch of indie guys from that area that came up really trying to get a shot at wild side. And some of them are in for a few matches. Not a lot of them stuck, but Scott cage was one that stuck around uh, all the way to the end. Yeah. I mean, believe me, cause I'm, I'm from South Metro. I'm right above say middle Georgia. So it's around the outskirts, but, um, Yes, there is a fertile indie scene in middle Georgia still to this day. And uh, lots of young guys come up through that through that area and uh, try to make a name for themselves. And, yeah, I mean, it's, some of them work, some of them don't. What can you say? All right. Next, Jimmy Rave against Iceberg. Jimmy's been working with the junior heavyweight sailing and scheduled to work against Tony Mamaluke here. But Iceberg and Jeff G. Bailey came out instead. It was announced on commentary that Mamaluke broke his nose on the WWA pay-per-view. Yes, that extravaganza. A couple weeks earlier, and everyone thought he was cleared, but maybe he wasn't. Ray put up a fight early on before Iceberg started beating his ass. And then he started beating up on Speedy Nelson, the referee, before Tony Mamaluke ran out, and he started attacking Jimmy Rave. Bailey then held a mic to Tony, who talked shit on Rave as he choked him out. Bill Barons then came out and announced that Mamaluke would face Jimmy Rave in a I-quit match at Hardcore Hell. And then Jimmy cut a promo on the back out to where son is punishment. He said that their match wouldn't be about who wins or loses. It's about who survives. Jeff, a really good piece of business here, I thought, altogether. Yeah, this was really nice. I thought that brain buster that Iceberg gave Jimmy liked to kill him. I think was dangerous looking. <laughs> But, I mean, Jimmy, you know, Tony's out there killing him with all these different submission moves, and Jimmy won't quit. I'm screaming at him to quit and sticking the mic in his face, and, and he won't. 
And um, I thought it was a really strong segment. You know, I thought um, Tony was really vicious and attacking Jimmy and, you know, really like trying to hurt him. And um, Jimmy's refusal to quit. I thought it was it was a great setup for their match. One of the, the stronger setups we had for a match going in to hardcore hell over these TVs, I thought. Yeah, Tony Mamaluk, Dan. During this run here, and we talked about it on the last show, but during this run here, when the show we're talking about here, and of course, Hardcore Hell, uh, he was fantastic at this point in time and everything he was doing. Yeah, I think this was, I mean, Jimmy even credited it later in his career as like a crucial turning point for Jimmy's career in terms of getting to work with a veteran like Mama Luke. And it was somebody, he was not a, a veteran of old Southern style. This was a, a Malenko guy who'd worked ECW, who'd worked WCW, and he just, he had a lot of knowledge and he was a guy who was really underutilized in a lot of the companies he worked for. So um, he really took a liking to Jimmy. He really took a liking to working this feud. Um, and I just, you know, I, it was one of my favorite things we were doing at the time. I remember that and looking back on it, it, it remains that um, I love Jimmy's promo. <laughs> I all I, I you know he never came across to me in those early days as a guy with the southern accent at all. Um, he, he almost sounded like he was from Pennsylvania. I always thought, uh, but fucking here he sounds so country. <laughs> yeah, yes he does. <laughs> he, yes, yes he does. And I mean, you know, I'm from from fucking bumfuck Tennessee, so I don't have any room to talk. Like everybody doesn't have a southern accent compared to me, but like it, it shocked me how southern he really sounded here. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't say Mom or Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Or something like that. But yeah, yeah. Jimmy came off great in that promo. Absolutely. Well, then we get another promo from Smart Bart Sawyer, who uh, talked about his match with Scotty Ren Hardcore Hell, where he made fun of Scotty using bird analogies. Here's the thing with, with, with this. It's this promo and basically Smart Bart Sawyer in general. It seemed out of place. In this era of wild side that we're in right here. Not, I mean, I'm not saying it was bad, but he didn't mean to stretch your imagination, but it, it just felt like it was out of place in what wild side was going to. It would have fit right in, in wild side in 2000. But in 2002, wild side, it just didn't jive. And I mean, it's not a main angle or anything. It's, you know, it's an undercard angle, but it's just like, it just didn't fit. Uh, Dan, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I guess and no. Like, I do think that it. I looking back, I re, I liked it a lot better watching it over than I did when it was happening. I can tell you that much. Um, I think it added some variety to the show a little bit, but yeah, it kind of felt like nineteen ninety nine Music City wrestling a little bit. Uh, that said, Bart Sawyer is a fucking tremendous performer. Oh, he is absolutely. That's what I said. I'm not saying it was bad. Just the what the direction Wildside was going in, you know, it kind of just felt out of place to me. That's that's what I'm getting at. Oh yeah, Bart's a hell of a hell of talent, you know. And, and Jeff, you were dealing with Bart at the time. I mean, it's just again. I mean, it, it just felt more like something that would be in the Steve Martin era of Wildside. I mean, I can't argue with that, that, that it feels a little 
out of place in where we're going. Bart's a little older. Um, his style is much more of a an 80s style talker. I mean, he's obviously incredibly influenced by Roddy Piper, as you can tell in his promo. And um, But I mean, we still have Terry Knight around and uh i wouldn't think that bart sawyer sticks out like a sore thumb any more than terry knight no no you're right you're right you're right i mean it's and dan's right too there you know the fact that you can have a variety is always good absolutely but it just it, it just was kind of when you're watching this tv it just sticks out a little bit something like this but that's just me talking also, mm-hmm. also, if I recall, uh, wasn't this like recently after he had slung a stop sign into the audience in Nashville and some fan got cut? That's why he got gone so from Nashville. Yes. Bert fired him and Bill was doing him a and Bert a solid by bringing him in, I believe. Um, so yeah. there was more to it than just yeah. on screen as well. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of touched on that in the previous show and yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. All right. Next wild side junior way title, Jeremy Lopez defending his Joey Matthews. Well, if it's 2002 and Joy Matthews is booked, Alexis Lurie is booked as well. And Mickey James. And she's booked with here as uh, valet for Jeremy Lopez. Which, like I said, is interesting. Makes sense. Joey's here. And Steve Bray's that was shot that Lopez was actually with a girl. <laughs> Joey riding Lopez like a horse at one point was funny as it lightened up the mood. And the structure for the match was different than usual because of Lurie being out there due to more stick being played up with a female valet dynamic. Match is fine for what it was. Nothing real special. Alexis tried to trip up Joey. Would trip up Joey, allowing Lopez to drop in with his DDT to get the win. Yeah. Um, and Jeff, I mean, that that's that's thing. You know, Jeremy Lopez had been doing his same type of deal, you know, in his wild side run here. And this is a little bit different dynamic. And having Alexis Lurie with him, you know, adds a little flavor to his character for the match. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was fine. It's fine for what it was. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a a pretty good take on it. It was fine for what it was. I mean, Joey Matthews was in, and he had a good wrestling match with Jeremy Lopez. Jeremy Lopez got a big win. We found a way to get Alexis involved in the match. I mean, I thought her stuff on the ring apron with Andrew was funny because Andrew's always funny when the women get on the apron to mess with him. Um, it worked. I mean, it was more suited for in the middle of the show than the main event of the show. But, uh, you know, good match and always nice to see someone the level of Joey Matthews in. Yes, because as you're saying, this was the main event of the TV show for the most ninth television show. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, And Lopez getting a win over a guy like Joey Matthews dance, always a good thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the building block match. You know, it was like we've got this guy who's got a name who's only in occasionally and willing to do a job for one of our heel stars. So let's feed him that because, um, you know, they're junior heavyweights going to work together. That's kind of been Lopez's deal with the junior heavyweight title. Uh, Yeah, just continues to build that credibility. Mm hmm. 
All right, so we have another match that doesn't make TV. Uh, Adam Booker and Dr. Heresy, two more guys from up north, main area, beat two guys from Florida, Agent Steele and Rod Steele, IPW Florida guy. So, yeah, this is a definite, uh, you know, wild side type deal here where you get two guys from Maine and two guys from Florida meeting Georgia. <laughs> And these are two guys where, you know, if you follow independent wrestling at the time, you see their names quite a good bit because, you know, those promotions that they work for would always have a presence online. So, Dan, I mean, it's just a way to make Wildside look like a, a big deal that you're able to get these guys come in from other promotions from far away and meet in this type of match. It was a constant then, and it's, you know, still paying off now that, Bill did that because I'll see guys at shows that I travel to all over now that, you know, I met years ago in Wildside, and it's just an easy way to uh, find connections and old friends and things like that. I mean, I dare say there were some matches like this that only could have happened in Wildside mm-hmm. because of where the talents normally were. Um, these guys, like, fucking, uh, Agent Steele is uh, Bruce Santee, mm-hmm. is who he went on to be. Yep. And he still occasionally pops up. He was in ICW just as recently as last year in an amazing, like, fist fight with Justin Kyle that I think I've even talked about on here before. Um, and then Adam Booker was like, he kind of looked like a rhino type. I mean, he, he almost was, I wouldn't say a rhino impersonator, but he was a big dude with long hair. He did a spear. You get the the idea. Um, and Dr. Heresy was kind of hilarious to me because he was just this little fucking skinny dude in a doctor's smock. And he had a stethoscope <laughs> and he got on the mic and he was loud and he had a strong voice. And I mean, he didn't really get the time to cut where you could tell if he could really cut great promos or not, but he had a presence on the mic and he got good heat. And so, you know, I always enjoyed seeing those guys in. Well, I mean, Jeff, it's a way to spotlight talent where, you know, you look at these guys that come in, you're like, okay, we're going to bring these guys back in and put them on television and see what we can do with them. You know, you just never know. Yeah, I mean, uh, Adam Booker and Dr. Heresy had that, they're part of that great six man on the two year anniversary show that we talked That's about. That's right. Uh, yeah. I had no idea that Agent Steele was Bruce Santee. So that yep. that was interesting to find out. I mean, like Dan said, I, I saw Bruce in those fist fight matches he had in ICW, and uh, they were brutal. And he's still a big, strong man. Yes. Yes, he is. So there you go. All right. So the March 16th television started up with Brandon P. J. Freeze and Slim J. against Jeremy V. Kid Cool and Sal Del Rio. Here are some of the hottest young talents of Wildside put together in a six man. So this should be all action. There's some clipping going on. So we had a commercial break, but what we got was very fun, especially the stretch run where Slim J got the big win with the 420 splash on Jeremy. Yeah. I mean, you just putting six guys in here that's, you know, is going to, you know, you, they're going to go out there and, you know, have fast paced match and do some wild and crazy things. And, uh, yeah, the fa- it worked and, uh, it served its purpose, Jeff. Oh, it's a young lions extravaganza. I mean, all these guys are going to, you know, move up the card little by little as each month passes and stuff. I mean, they're just starting to really break out. I mean, future shocks going to be a player in the tag team 
situation. Jeremy and Slim are building to a singles feud that, you know, basically puts both of them on the map. So there was a lot of stuff going on here. And of course, you know, Kid Cool and Sal Del Rio is G-rated. We've already seen what they can do, and they're only going to get bigger. So uh, we really got a strong crop of young lions at this point. Absolutely. And, the, you know, the best thing to do when you got young lions like this, Dan, is to put them together and let them just show off in matches like this. Yeah, and there's a lot of these type matches, as you'll see on the upcoming shows here, but I, I don't think that's a bad thing. It's a very Memphis thing to do is the lots of six and eight man tags with your young talent uh, just impresses me. This match I loved, first of all, and then second of all, it just impresses me how much we were firing on all cylinders here roster wise, like everything from the top to the bottom was just clicking. Um, I mean, see, that's why we were able to pull off two nights for Hardcore Hell, really. I mean, we did pull some stuff in that would more had a presence on the Friday shows, and having those going regularly certainly helped develop some young talent as well, because all these people who had been in the six-man, you know, had come up on the Friday shows. But, yeah, uh, just the roster was just like everybody was in a great spot, if that makes any sense. Well, this is where those Friday shows are paying off. You know, those Friday shows are now getting these guys ready to work regular TVs and big shows. You know, that's what the Friday shows were about, building talent up so they could advance to the big nights. So there you go. All right. Jeff's in the back because promo with Adam Jacobs talking about Dustin Timberlake and said that the worst thing to see in a drag queen is seeing one with the makeup off. And Bailey said he had big plans for Timberlake and will finally get rid of him at Hardcore Hell. Yeah. Jeff, I mean, you're, you're just advancing the, the, the story here with Adam and uh, Laz, Dustin Timberlake. Yeah, I thought the uh, the drag queen without its makeup line was pretty funny. I laughed at that. <laughs> yes, you have you, you would have more great lines coming up. So, uh, so, yeah. so, yeah, a good promo for what it was there. All right, next we get four touchdowns and one great game. Crew Jones against Todd Saxton. Jeff came up before the match with the Wild Side Television title, and he proclaimed that Crew Jones is the true undisputed champion. And Big Business Brown had a new belt made. Crew had Crew having his cheerleader Destiny get down into the position to hike him the belt was hilarious, as it was censored on television. Jeremy Lopez was showing ringside, and Destiny was distracting Andrew Thomas as well, so Crew had some help here, but Todd put up a good fight to stay alive. Wasn't enough, though, as Crew would get the win after Lopez laid out Sexton and Jones covering him for the pin, and then Crew had a promo after the match talking about he was the greatest thing on TV since Monday Night Football, and he was going to go to his pep rally now. <laughs> Dan, I love, I love Crew Jones, and so who is censoring this here? Who is uh, is this? Is Steve still going around censoring stuff at this point in time, or what's going on here? If if I recall from the last notes I put together, episodes we did, and discussions with Bill and my own foggy memory, um, this is like where Steve ends up finally being gone after this big show because there's something that happens on the home video release of the uh, the big show where, where one of the big matches gets cut short. Um, and it was a big deal. 
Oh, we'll get into that, Dan, <laughs> when, that, yeah. when that time comes. But so Steve so, is still so Steve's still here, obviously, with the censoring. So. Steve, Steve is at least still around, or like Andrew is doing it, but Steve might be supervising him. He's still in the picture here. Um, so I don't know if it was Andrew t- thought it was funny to censor it or Steve thought it was lewd and actually wanted it censored it was one of those two things i mean basically what it was was she was hiking the belt like a football so she was down in, in the stance and he and crew had his hands down there he was i don't think he was actually touching her or anything I don't think no 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 and i think maybe that is like okay it adds a little to the imagination i, I don't guess know if so. that was the but, maybe, but maybe. like he he does flip her skirt up i don't know if you can see that yeah in their sensor but that was part of the spot as he would flip her skirt up yeah. and then have her hike him the thing so yeah but uh yeah crew's great here jeff i mean he's really like we talked about on the last show he's really starting to come into his own here in this character yeah, I mean, he's definitely feeling the character. He knows who he is and, and what he is at this point. And um, had a great match with Todd. You know, Todd got to look good, but, you know, and Todd's been on that big hot streak. So it was a big win for Crew, you know, to cement him as a a guy that's in a star position because he got there pretty quick. And uh, we cemented it pretty quick as well. But uh, he's delivered on everything we wanted from him. And Todd's protected. Goes, I yeah. think that's just Steve being weird about, <laughs> you know, sexual connotation or something. I mean, I it, I thought it was ludicrous that it was censored. But, I mean, we, we have a good bit of that through this taping. Yeah. And, Todd, again, and Todd losing because of Lopez, you know, it protects Todd. that You know, he didn't lose fair and square. So there's that. So, all right, Jeff, well, you're up next with Jason and you, you talk about how Caprice has been a thorn in your side all, too much and that you're going to have a false count anywhere match of hardcore hell where you're going to get rid of him once and for all. So, uh, you're just furthering the whole thing along here. All right. I'll yeah, let, just, yeah. Nothing dynamic, just straightforward. Moving it along. Yeah. And Jason, I say anything, which is further Caprice's, uh, Caprice's whole deal from from the week before his promo. So, all right, elimination match. Just interesting match here. Adam Jacobs, Jason Cross, Rip Michaels, and Bart Sawyer as Team Elite going against Caprice Coleman, Dustin Timberlake, Tank, and Scotty Wren. This is a different type of match than we're used to seeing at Wild Side, so this should be a hoot. All action match here with Caprice and Cross eliminating each other early on. Timberlake being pinned. Sawyer then fake being hit with a steel chair, getting Ren DQ'd in the great spot, which would leave Tank in the ring against Adam Jacobs, Rip Michaels, and Bart Sawyer. Tank would take Sawyer out with a Yakuza kick, then took Jacobs out with the F-bomb, leaving him alone with Rip Michaels. Tank had Michaels reeling, then pulled out his shank before Jacobs and Cross ran back out and attacked Tank while Andrew Thomas was talking with Jeff on the apron. What a coincidence. They held him up so Iceberg could splash him on the apron, then chunk Tank back in the ring so Rick could finish him off. But David Young ran out, and he brought with Rick after the match, which furthers their whole deal. This was really fun, Jeff. Um, in a different, like I said, a different match that you would see in Wildside. You don't see eight-man tag matches, elimination match, and you got a deal here where you got these, you know, crisscross angles going on. Uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, we definitely 
usually in the go home shows, the big shows would often have these kinds of matches with uh, different guys from different matches intertwined and stuff and, and, you know, try and set up little things for that and have them do some stuff with different people to, to kind of tease what was coming and stuff. But uh, I really like the stuff with Jason and Caprice, you know, because of the falls count anywhere and them fighting all around on the floor and stuff. And they were going at it pretty hard and heavy. So that stuff was pretty strong. Um, the match was was a lot of fun, like you said. I um, there was something I was going to say about it that I just forgot. <laughs> hey, that happens. Believe me, <laughs> you have it on your mind, and it was all shit. Where where to go? But yeah, you know, you know, we, you know, the sneaky finish of Bart with the chair and stuff. Just different ways to get out of it when you're doing an elimination and having to beat all these people. Sometimes you need some different ways to beat them and stuff. So uh, I thought it was pretty solid and a, a nice way of just getting everybody out there and kind of teasing who's going to do what at the big show. Yeah. Dan, your thoughts? Yeah, not a ton to add to what Jeff said. Agree with all of that. Would also just love the clash of styles here. I thought it really worked. Uh, added a lot of variety to the match to have Tank in there with guys like Cross and Coleman and Dustin Timberlake and Bart Sawyer and Scotty Ritt. It was just really a whole smorgasbord buffet of what Wildside offers. And uh, I, I just, I loved the the Bart Sawyer finish doing the uh, the Eddie Guerrero ish spot, which was it would be later known. It wasn't even really; it was just an old Memphis fucking spot then. But um, that was great. Getting Scotty Ren DQ'd, uh, I really laughed hard at that. Um, the way he was like crawling between his legs and shit. Uh, if uh, Tank looking like a badass, Iceberg doing the total eclipse on the apron that ended up becoming like a signature thing for him where he would just run out with just the splash on the apron. We called it the total eclipse, of course, because Iceberg was so fucking big. Oh my God. Yes. When he came and splashed you, he just engulfed you. So, oh yeah. yeah. You're gone. You're like, where'd they go? (laughs) (laughs) Under Iceberg's body. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's fucking crazy watching him do that. Jesus. So uh yeah, really strong uh main event there for the March sixteenth television. Alright, March the fifth. We go to the Wild Side website here. It says Jeff G. Bailey says he has a surprise for AJ Styles on the TV taping on March sixteenth. Huh, you have a surprise for him, huh? Well, we'll find out more about that as we go along. And when we get there, it's a big surprise. March 11th, Wildside and National Wrestling Alliance announced that a partnership between Joe Price, Kevin Houston, or Kevin Rhodes, and Dr. Richard Hackworth has been granted the first associate membership in the National Wrestling Alliance under new rules recently passed by NWA Board of Directors. The group will promote in the state of Florida under the banner of NWA Florida. They anticipate promoting shows initially in Orlando, Ocala, Tampa St. Pete, and at St. Pete, the group plans to work with Ron Neeme's IPW, which has an ongoing relationship with the NWA, and NWA's Wild, NWA Wildside's Bill Barons, who remains the NWA member for Florida. Presently, two of the IPW and NWA Florida titles are unified. Their tag titles, held by Wrongful Death, and the Cruiserweight title, held by Justice, the Florida Justice. The NWA Florida NWA title, which was last held by Cyborg, has not been defended since October 2001. It's been declared vacant. 
The new NWA Florida will crown a new champion as soon as it begins running shows. NWA Florida's first show is scheduled for Saturday, May 25th at the WrestlePlex in St. Petersburg. Details on the card that already includes Wild Side stars AJ Styles and David Young will be announced soon. Information on NWA Florida and upcoming shows will be available soon on their website located at nwaflorida.com. This is definitely, you know, it's, it's on the Wild Side website, so it's a build thing. But um, it's, it seems like this is going to be a, a partnership that was uh, going to be put in place between Wild Side and NWA Florida. And, uh, Dan, what do you know about all this? Yeah, seems like it. <laughs> <laughs> seems that way. <laughs> um, if I recall, this was very short-lived. Uh, this this NWA Florida thing dissolved very quickly. Um, of course, Ron Nemi kept running his IPW shows, and they stayed around for a long time. But uh, but this iteration of NWA Florida, if memory serves me correctly, was not very long for this world. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of politics that goes on in, in, in the Florida wrestling scene, especially. Also, there time. were like five fucking versions of NWA Florida over the years. Yes. So, like just in this era. So I don't know, you know, which one it was either. Well, that's the thing, you know, and Jeff, I'll go to you to this one. This is that era where there's so many people that's trying to latch that NWA name onto them because the NWA has gone through a renaissance, you know, working with Zero One in Japan and TNA is about to get going. So, you know, the NWA name has a uh, a better cachet at this point in time than it had had in a while. So you see all kinds of promotions now having NWA in their names. Well, I'll say this about Joe Price, Kevin Houston, parentheses, Rhodes, and Dr. Richard Hackworth. I don't know who any of those people are. <laughs> I think their version of NWA Florida was here today, gone later today. I mean, <laughs> it, it really had no existence whatsoever. I mean, there was Howard Brody and his NWA Florida. And then, like Dan said, there was other people trying to call themselves NWA Florida. But, I mean, I don't remember any of this being anything other than an announcement. Some guys poured some money into something and are going to run a show. And they likely ran one show under the banner. Yeah, they. I remember they had, they had something going on. But, yes, it wasn't extremely long. So, yeah. All right, March 16th at the NWA Arena for TV tape that aired on the 23rd to 30th. Rick Michaels starts the show with Dan again, apologizes to Dan for his actions lately. Rick then apologizes to David Young and wanted him to come out so he could tell him personally. Rick said David, if if David beats him, he would shake his hand, and he wants the same from David, and then apologized to him directly. Rick put his hand out, then hugged him, held the rose up before him to leave the ring, and then, of course, he jumped him on the floor. Rick pounded on him good, even using a wrench from the ring before security finally pulled him off of him. You know, we talked about Rick earlier and, you know, being that type of heel that was, you know, believing in his convictions and all this other stuff. And now uh, here's the other side of the heeldom here by Rick Dan, <laughs> where he's the conniving heel, the guy that, you know, he's suckered David Young in and then attacks him. You gotta love it. Uh, this. <laughs> 
If you could not tell, old Memphis wrestling is a very big influence on me and everyone else I've worked with over the years. Um, You saw we did the Jimmy Rave getting hit by a car deal just a couple of months prior. That was a a rip on the old uh, Lawler and Eddie Gilbert deal uh, from, from Memphis. And this was the new fabs breaking up. Uh, Tommy Rich and Doug Gilbert. Uh, We loved that element of that angle and always wanted to use it in something. And I don't remember who was chief behind it, if it was me or if it was Jeff or even Bill, but we just felt like this was the angle to plug that into where we could kind of take that formula and tweak it a little bit. And it would be an effective tool for furthering the Rick and David story as we're building to this three way. You know, I never thought of it in in that way. And I'm glad that you said that there was a direct, you know, what's it rip off, but directly inspired by, the uh, breakup of the new fabs in Memphis. And uh, yeah, I mean, Rick and David had been feuding for a little bit here. Like Tom, me and Eddie had started their feud a little, a little bit. And before we had the big t- angle on television. So yeah, I mean, Hey, there's nothing wrong with taking angles from wrestling's past and putting a new spin on it, Jeff. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it at all. I mean, it, it, it makes sense to do that. I mean, why not? It worked then. It could still work today. Absolutely. I mean, everybody is influenced by the wrestling that they loved watching. And uh, sometimes you see stuff and you just think, I want to do that. I want to do my version of that. And I'm. Um, Obviously, Memphis was a fertile ground for a lot of us thinking, I want to do something that plays off that. And again, it's a it's a personal issue thing with with Rick and David. And, you know, I'm sorry, David, we did all this together. I, I, I want to do this the right way. And then, I mean, when he clubs him, he clubs the shit out of him. He sure does. And I, Rick is like crazy on the floor. I mean, just you, he starts to to lose a little intensity at the end because I think he's blown up because he's <laughs> yeah. going so hard on David. I mean, it really is a strong segment of, of a guy just, you know, going crazy. So uh, I really like the way it, it turned out. I mean, he pulls out the, the toolbox and gets a wrench and hits him. I mean, you know, he's just going berserk. And I, I thought it was a really fun angle. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, so, you know, Rick, Rick is great in these types of, of scenarios here. And, uh, yeah, this is, yeah, this fantastic storytelling. Absolutely. All right. Our first match on this show is again, an out of the area match. And I'm talking about out of the area as <laughs> magic M A J I K, uh, de- defeated, uh, F- psycho Steve in a match for the NWA United Kingdom junior heavyweight title. So yes, Wildside is now worldwide here. As we have some UK representation, and uh, Dan, how did how did something like this come to be? How are there, you know the guys from the UK coming to, over here at this point in time? Um, they reach out to Bill, uh, like in most cases, and this is kind of still the way international tours work for indie wrestlers because you got to be resourceful and you got to do things on your own. Ain't nobody gonna do it for you. You got to 
link up book promoters where you've got several dates in a row a lot of times those promoters will all chip in together and help cover your finances or you'll cover your own finances and expect to make that back by the number of bookings that you've got uh, to get yourself over here your travel expenses so uh, it was one of those things where they had planned a tour of the states so you know i'm building and fly them directly from the uk just to do wild side but they were here and uh, of course we wanted to showcase any nwa partners that was part of bill's deal as the vice president and having wild side be kind of this showcase show for these promotions um these guys were cool i don't remember a ton about them i remember uh, Magic was more of like a technical guy in the ring. I've heard called Psycho Steve was a bigger guy. Um, one of them had, here's a funny story that I do remember. One of them had a manager in like a monk robe named Conscience. Ooh, that's an interesting name for a wrestler. And so I'm the ring announcer. Of course, I have to go through and ask all of these guys what their heights and what well, not their heights, but their weights and hometown and like you know relevant information that i need to know and i'm going around talking to these guys and i'm getting their names and of course he has a very thick british accent and so i you know i'm dan nice to meet you and he tells me his name and i stop and i ask him to repeat himself he tells me again and my hillbilly ass thought this motherfucker said corn chips. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say corn chips? And he gets a little mad. No, mate, conscience. I'm like, oh, God, I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> oh, that is classic. <laughs> corn chips, you Fritos? <laughs> Can I call you Fritos? <laughs> yeah. Not of my fighter. Oh, that's classic. Uh, now, what was funny was um, there was a Jason Cross that worked in the UK. So if, if Bill would have got like a, a deal set up where he could have sent some guys over there, we, we could have had a battle of Jason Crosses <laughs> to see who the real Jason Cross is or something like that. So, yeah, that's, that's funny. All right, uh, TV for TV starts with Scotty Wren against Terry Knight. Well, these two have a long history with each other. Knight attacked Wren as soon as he came out, so this won't be a scientific match for sure. Wren had Knight dead to rights. When Bar Sawyer attacked him with a steel chair, then Iceberg followed up, but he couldn't do anything until Big Henry Haas and Tank ran out to clear the ring. Also great to see Big Business Brown back with the heels here. Yes, Jeff, Big Biz is back, back in town. Yeah, that was the highlight of this is Big Biz came out at the end, certainly. I mean, that, that was certainly the most enjoyable part of the match. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, just, just great Big Biz is back around, and he'll be involved more as we go along here. All right, next we got another uh, matchup of the Young Lions. Derek Driver's here this time. Derek Driver, Jeremy V, and Sal Dario against Brandon P, Jay Freeze, and Slim J. Derek's replacing Kid Cool here, as the other five guys have been having issues lately. Driver's style definitely fit in well here. They gave these guys a good deal of time, and they all look good. Finish runs a little sloppy, but Sal hit a big springboard leg drop on Brandon to get the win. 
So, yeah, I mean, basically a rematch from the previous show and the other side winning this time. But uh, Derek Driver getting in here, Dan, and uh, he's a guy that would be getting involved more and more as, as the year goes along the wild side. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, Seth got hurt, and so Derek was the replacement, a North Carolina guy, and uh, did a great job here. And, of course, it is just a rematch from the last match, but the same flippity-floppity fun. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Jeff, we were talking before, you know, before the show started, you know, doing shows like this, you know, spotlighting these guys, Derek Driver is a guy like that, where somebody that may, somebody may not have heard about, may not have known about, but a you know, good talent, and, you know, just some good things, and now people can have the opportunity to maybe uh, watch somebody like a Derek Driver here after listening to this show. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about, you know, when you're a young wrestler coming to shows and bringing your gear and hoping to get on and, and somebody doesn't show up and you get an opportunity to be in a match with all these other young lions and you get to showcase some of your stuff. I mean, it's certainly an opportunity and it opened a door for Derek driver who uh, is going to be with us a good bit on different things here going forward. And um, he's a guy that really, a lot of people may not know that well, but him and Stephen Walters, who was Cash Wheeler, were a team called the New Wave, mm -hmm. and uh, a great tag team that had some incredible matches in the building. And, uh, you know, this is him first coming in and, and really getting to showcase himself. And like all these other guys, he's just a young, pretty young boy out here, you know, trying to become a man in wrestling and uh, doing a good job of it. And that's another thing, too. You talked about, you know, if you're a wrestler and, you know, independent wrestler, man, you've got a free weekend. You're not booked. You got nothing going on. Go to a show. Bring your gear with you because you never know. You might get on the show. <laughs> you know? I mean, get a booking. Get a payday. So, yeah, I'll like I said, if you ain't got nothing else going on, go out, go to a show. I mean, I've seen it happen personally quite a few times where guys just, they come, they come to a show, show up, and somebody, no shows, or gets hurt, and the promoter asks them, hey, you got your gear? Yeah, all right, well, you're on the show, you know? We got our spot at ICW because somebody didn't show up. Yeah. So, you know, just goes to show. Exactly. Yes. All right. Next, we get Dustin Timberlake and Adam Jacobs. Finally, a singles match between these two. So this should be interesting. Jacobs also attacked Timberlake as he came out. As this was a fight right from the jump. Dustin was such a contrast to the last character. And that's what made this gimmick change so great. As he just kicked Jacobs' ass before hitting the Britney Spear. Timberlake had Jacobs pinned. But Jason Cross would run off of the DQ. And they beat him down as Bailey got on the mic saying that Timberlake and Jacobs would face off Hardcore Hell, and if Dustin lost, and he would have to leave. And not just him, Laz, all the incarnations would have to leave. Bill Barron's then came out and said that Jacobs wants a stipulation that Dustin can get out of a, can get out of a stip. So Dustin and uh, said that he, if he wins, he wants five minutes with that quote-unquote closet faggot Jeff G. Bailey. <laughs> Barron's then told Bailey that he better wear protection. <laughs> Bill's delivery that line was great too, by the way. But yeah, this uh, yeah, we finally get a singles match between these two. I mean, it's not gonna be clean, obviously, because we're built to the big show. And uh, yeah, th 
this was was tremendous stuff, and the stuff at the end where you know Timberlake cut the promo and Bill got involved. Uh, great stuff, Jeff, and great way to set up everything for uh, Hardcore Hell. Yeah, this is really so much fun, and uh, you know, knowing what's coming in the future, though, it kind of leaves me saddened because it seems like we had a lot of gas left in this Dustin Timberlake tank that we kind of moved on from real quick but uh we'll get to that eventually uh it was it was nice to be called a closet faggot you know so <laughs> i hear somebody else just say something terrible besides me on one of these shows so and it was <laughs> it and it was last saying it that's the thing i mean <laughs> that's the best part about it you know i mean and it was it was a great line. I mean, yeah, you, something you can't say today, but it was a great line in, in that time period to get over because you were always accusing him of doing, you know, doing these things at Piedmont Park and this, that, and the other. And here he is getting you, and your reaction to it was great. And I mean, yeah, I mean, just yeah, great piece of business here. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I uh, I was really, you know, it's that that oh gosh, this is all so great, but no one where or going with it's like oh man we we really definitely had some gas left in this tank but yeah we'll talk about that when we get to the hardcore hell absolutely because i have thoughts on that as well but um dan what were your thoughts on how all this came off and bill's uh spotting all this too <laughs> I, I i'm with you like with, as far with jeff as well as far as um this all works well and it's a shame the, what happened in the future like um because i really do think we were on to something here and whatever ended up being the end result of this was not what any of us had envisioned for it and it, i think it just you'll you'll see when we get there but this all worked great yes. of course like like you said you, you can't can't do this today but it, it worked great in 2002 yeah all right, next we get Rip Michaels against David Young, also on television. Yes, a brawl from the bell, as expected, as David just clots Michaels in the head with a steel chair on the floor. And we get some censoring as well. A bloody Michaels will recover, and he bashed David with a chair over his head as well, as this was going on. Andrew Thomas counted both men out, with Dan Wilson going nuts on commentary, saying, we didn't need that finish. Bill Berenson came out and announced that the Wild Side title will now be held in a three-way at Hardcore Hell. Oh, yeah. I mean, these two guys, Dan, were just tearing each other up. And it's what you would expect between two, these two guys that they, they've worked together for so long. They know each other. They're friends. You know, they've been friends, been enemies, whatever. But they know how to work against each other, and they brought it out here. Yeah, a lot of hatred between the two, and it's unique that we did this as an angle. I thought this was a pretty untraditional way to do a feud because the business still has to be done. Like, and I, I actually liked it a lot because you know everybody's still going after the title. That's still the bigger picture, but this 
under the the top layer of that is this huge rivalry between these former tag team partners. There's the existing rivalry between Rick and AJ, the teacher mentor thing, or the David and AJ rivalry where they respect each other. So there's like so many dynamics going on to building this three-way. Like normally this kind of heat or feud would be reserved to build to some sort of like blood gimmick match. But instead it's going towards the title, which is just something you don't see. And if you do see it, it's usually done very terribly, but this was actually done really well. I, I thought that the brawl was awesome. Um, and yeah, and I was going nuts on commentary because, you know, trying to imply that, okay, well, if we don't crown a number one contender here, we're not going to have a fucking title match yeah. on the biggest show mm-hmm. of the year. Yep. And then, Bill coming out and said, well, we're going to have a three-way. I mean, and, and a lot of fans, you, you know, back then, now, when, when they get that situation where you get it, you, you think you're going to have a singles match, and then it ends up being a multi-man match, you know, it kind of like deflates it a little bit. But, Jeff, the way everything had been built here between all the stories involved, it made total sense to do a three-way between these three guys. Yeah, I mean, because like Dan said, this – is about the title. That's that's what the focus is, but it has that searing hatred between Rick and David that you know Rick has manipulated David into no David, I'm I am your friend and then double crossed him again. And so it is odd that there's so much heat like that going into this three-way where AJ is just the champion and him and David are friends and respect each other. And him and Rick have a rivalry because Rick thinks, you know, he trained AJ and made him. So there's a lot of different stories going into this as a three-way that makes it different than your average three-way. And uh, it's going to turn out to be quite tremendous. Yeah, because you, you have common hatred of Rick. <laughs> That's the thing. You have AJ, <laughs> AJ and David hate Rick, and AJ and David are competitive against each other. So that that's the dynamic you have here that's so different. So uh, yeah, just really really strong stuff. All right, so that's the main event for the March six March sixteenth television, excuse me, March twenty third television. So we have a match between the TVs, Tim Storm over Mason Grace. Yes. The same Tim Storm that will become NWA World Heavyweight Champion years later. So here he is, working in Wildside in 2002. And uh, Jeff, I mean, you want you see someone like this here? I mean, there's no way in hell you could you could you know determine what was going to happen in his future. But here he is in 2002. No, I mean I can't say I really remember this offhand. Dan is better at remembering some of these things than me, but. Uh... Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. And I mean, as we go through this, the the names who have come through doing one or two matches really is remarkable. Yes. Yeah. um, A tip storm became a damn phenomenon. That's the thing. I mean, again, you just never know what what, uh, could happen as your career moves on. You just never know. Absolutely. All right. Uh. Jimmy Rave, Onyx, and Todd Sexton teamed up to face Crew Jones, Jeremy Lopez, and Tony Mamaluke. I love it. I love these multi-man matches here. And this was a quite interesting match. These guys went balls to the wall. Damn good all-action match. Rave just nuked Mamaluke with a backdrop suplex. Holy shit. 
I thought he broke his fucking neck. As these guys were hitting all kinds of high impact moves, including Onyx with the blackout DDT to get the win over Crew. Hell of a fucking match. Oh, yeah. This, this is the shit right here, Dan. These guys just was tearing it up. And uh, this is definitely the type of match you want to have out there to spotlight these six guys before the big show. Yeah, it gave a little sneak preview of everything they were involved in, but it was so high energy and like to the point. There was no bullshit. It was it was really fantastic. And this is what wrestling needs more of these days. You know, WWE is the is the worst at this, where you know you have you have these people that are feuding, but they're wrestling each other in singles matches every fucking week on television, and then going to wrestle each other on a on a, on a big show. Why? Just, just just make a bunch of damn multi-person matches. You know, have six men, six women matches with the, with the women. Have tag teams. Have stuff like that where it's not you're not burning that singles match out. You're you're you. I mean, everybody loves multi-person matches because there's so much that goes on there. So why not just do that? It's this is a easy booking, Jeff. So easy to do, and it works all the time. It is easy booking because you get to tease little pieces of the stuff you want. Then you get to see the guys against the other people and double teams and, you know, things that you're not going to normally see. And um, we were good about doing this because we just had the one with all of the main event guys out there. And now we've got a bunch of the mid card guys in this multi-man and, you know, everybody gets to shine and showcase themselves and make you want to see these singles matches that are coming. I mean, they really are just kind of an extension of the angle or a great promo in that they're really just selling you the singles match that you really want to see. And you're getting a little taste of it and you get the guys, you know, with the opportunity to run wild because you get a chance to rest after everything you go through and, uh, I, it's a really great showcase, and I think Wildside really did a good job of putting these kind of matches on. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jeff entered the ring next with Iceberg. He started railing over Bill Barron's, making that match with Timberlake, and was censored heavily. Boy, you were. Uh, Bailey then talked about looking at pictures of dismembered children, watching someone have a heart attack and just stand in there, then watching someone with no legs trying to cross the street in Atlanta to get some food, but nothing will compare to what he will see when Iceberg destroys Tank at Hardcore Hell. Bailey then talked about how excited he was that he was breaking out in stigmata. Lots of censoring going on here as well. It's, they butchered this promo, Jeff, but what, what made Aaron was fantastic. Oh, my God. It's so this promo wasn't even supposed to air on television. I mean, it was supposed to be just for the live crowd. And because I'd done a backstage promo that, that basically hit the same notes. And then I had another promo with the cage, but, uh, they did air this for some reason. And, um, some of the early censoring, I'll, I'll just say I'm glad it was censored. <laughs> there, was a, there was something in there that that I'm just this is just not worth discussing in 2022. <laughs> we'll save that for off the air, I guess. <laughs> but the other censoring stuff was, I mean, like he censored, you know, I'm like God, and he censored. You're going to look like Sharon Tate, which Dan basically repeats in the commentary during the match later. So there was 
no reason to censor it whatsoever. And it's it's so mild. I just think. But again, the the early stuff that I said something about Laz and you know and tied it to a a current event that I uh, probably shouldn't have. So I'm kind of glad that one was censored and and nobody. <laughs> going to be like holy shit so <laughs> uh-huh. breaking down a stick mod always pops me when you when you when you would use that it's been a while since you used that one so well i had used that in the backstage promo so the live crowd had never seen it so i thought let me do it for the live crowd because it's not going to air on the tv where <laughs> it would be had done a second time but they fucked me on that deal <laughs> And aired that one instead of the backstage one, which was actually a better promo. Although this one was good. I mean, it definitely packed a punch and had some power and, you know, waving that peeler around and stuff. And, you know, I always had fun sticking that thing up in the camera and stuff. So. <laughs> oh, it's just classic, classic stuff here. Oh, I love it. All right. So we get. Blackout against Mike Pittman and Sky Cage. Again, total destruction. This white meat babyface had no chance in the world here. Homicide grabbed the mic after the match, begged for anybody to come out and challenge them for hardcore hell, which brought out the returning Lost Boys with ladders, which sent Blackout scurrying from the ring. Lost Boys climbed the ladders, sending a challenge their way. Well, that indefinitely only was for a couple of weeks, but hey, they come back with ladders, and here we go, Dan. It's off to the races, and we're going to have the big match at Hardcore Hell with Lost Boys and Blackout with the ladders. Yep, everything is set up. These guys were all very excited about this. Um, they knew that they had been featured very well on the show, but all four people in this match really felt like this was going to be their opportunity to break out in the company. Like they were going to go have this legendary memorable match. And, uh, we'll find out what happened here very shortly. Mm-hmm. Main event time, AJ styles, defending the wild Sayway title against Jeff G. Bailey's mystery opponent. Always love a good mystery opponent, especially if it's a good surprise. Bailey comes out, calls Styles an egomaniac. And because he's bringing back one of the greatest ever on Wildside, and someone that Styles had never beat, and announced that Justice was the opponent. Justice comes out looking bigger than ever, mocks AJ, comes out as he comes out, but AJ attacks him before he can hit, get to the ring. Back and forth action, and even Bailey tried to get his shots in, but Styles got him in a Styles class position before Justice made the save. We get a clip of the action as Justice would bring in a table with Styles trying to powerbomb Justice through it, but Justice fell on top of him. Justice sat the table in a corner and placed a chair on Styles before dropping down on him, and Styles looked dead. Justice went to do it again, but Styles adjusted the chair and crotched him. They clocked him in the head with the chair twice, then clocked Andrew Thomas by mistake. Bailey then snuck in, hit, he hit AJ with a belt, rolled Justice on top, but Styles kicked out. Justice would then miss a big splash, and then Styles hit a wildest hill-twisting splash for a near fall when Jamie Tucker ran in to make the count. Justice recovered, put AJ down with the death penalty, but still couldn't put him away. Justice then went for a superplex through a table, and AJ turned it into a sunset flip powerbomb, which nasty as shit. Boy, did it. They get the win. Rip Michaels then showed up after the match, got on the mic talking up AJ, going all over the world and ducking him. Michaels won the match tonight. AJ laid the belt down the ring, but Davey Young ran out. He attacked Michaels instead. 
and then turn into a three-way brawl setting up Hardcore Hell the next week. Yeah, great to see Justice back here, Jeff. And uh, yeah, he was in in great shape, looked huge, and uh, you know you can't go wrong with him and AJ working together. And yeah, what a what a match this is, and that finish, holy shit, woof! <laughs> this was so great because I did not remember what the surprise was, and when it was Justice, I popped so huge, like <laughs> oh my god. It's it was it was a reminder of I have done so much great shit in the twenty plus years I did this that I could forget something as memorable and as exciting as this because I I had I didn't know it was going to be justice and I mean the match of course was great like their matches always are and uh, wow I mean just to have that like going right into hardcore hell and stuff. I thought that was, that was really super. And I mean, justice looked the best he'd ever looked. He had some fresh new gear. He was in great shape. Um, the match started, you don't see it because of the poor camera work, but that was AJ coming with a big dive over the top rope onto justice on the ramp as he was coming out. I mean, just great stuff. I really excited to see that. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and Dan, like I said, these two guys have a track record, great chemistry against each other, and wow, just fantastic stuff. Man, I've seen these guys work each other so many times in person, and then later just watching on TV because they carried this feud all the way to TNA, and their one singles match in that cage is largely considered one of the best matches that TNA ever did. Um, you know, just they went on to kind of have a legendary feud with each other, you know, as, after he became Abyss. But I saw them put forth the same level of effort in a match like this. And then on pay-per-view later and in front of 13 fucking people in an armory in Hickory, North Carolina. I mean, that's that's what kind of fucking legends these guys are. They love this shit. Uh, that's why they're all-time greats. Absolutely. Yes. Fantastic. And still working together to this day, although, you know, Justice is now, you know, office, but still, still still together. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he probably ages his matches, too, or is involved in it. So, yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. And a great way to set up Hardcore Hell. Speaking of, let's go to Hardcore Hell, shall we? Night one, March 22nd. Jeff G. Bailey starts the show coming out with Big Biz and Iceberg talking about his Big Biz's birthday. And then calls Andrew Thomas, who brings a cupcake with him out and with a candle on it. Jeff demands everyone sing happy birthday to Big Biz, which doesn't happen. And he talks about how he canceled Total Destruction's plan return to the building. And he replaced them with Jeff Daniels and Tim Ernesto, with Bailey bearing Frenchie Riviera the whole time. He was their partner. And the match would be Jeff Daniels and Tim Ernesto teaming with French Riviera. Going up against Kevin Harden, Shadow Jackson, and John Doe. Well, this is quite the opener, to say the least. And the experienced guys won, but Daniels and Ernesto attacked Frenchie after the match until the Lost Boys made the save. All right, Jeff. Was it really a big business birthday? It was. Well, there we go. It absolutely was. There was a uh, bill had come out and done something earlier. You know, we would do like birthday wishes for the fans or, or whatever before the show started and stuff. So uh, I, I started with that. You know, I don't I don't know who the hell you're talking about, but it's big business birthday. 
And uh, the whole thing was to set up the Jeff Daniels, Tim Renesto thing. And I think we got to add the big biz thing as I was kind of like, God, Bill, why, why do I have to go do this? You know, I've got all this stuff on hardcore hell and I got to go announce these two guys and stuff that are coming out. But, uh, we turned it into a really fun segment and with Frenchie being their partner. I got the, I, I, I had to watch it twice where I caught the part where I yelled at Frenchie, like, don't you screw up this match for these guys because they can't here to win and stuff. <laughs> I don't I don't know why Frenchie was was my whipping boy that night, but I did go after him pretty hard. Well, he's he was an easy target because he's Frenchie Riviera. <laughs> you know? And there's something funny, you know, about having Iceberg with me and yelling at Frenchie about being the fat guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean He's a French Riviera, of course, it's like that, you know, the whole thing we talked about earlier with Bar Sawyer. He's a product of a different time of wild side. But on this two-night extravaganza, you kind of have to, uh, you know, break out some people you haven't broke out. And here's Jeff Daniels and Tim Ernesto here in wild side all of a sudden, you know, um, for coming in. BMWA from BMWA uh, World Tag Team Champions. Yeah, coming in from uh, Mike Porter and, and that part of the world in Tennessee, you know, coming in from that area. So, uh yeah, Dan. I mean, is it, I mean, they were the NWA World Tag Team Champions, and here they are working this show. And those guys, you I mean you see their names around on the Southern Wrestling Message boards, and here they are. Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, disturbing behavior sands the presence of their valet Dominique, who was <laughs> Jeff Daniels' real life wife. Yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah. I worked with Jeff Daniels a bunch several years later in Nashville and other places. And I just always thought he was a hell of a worker. Like he, you know, they didn't really fit in here, but it was one of those favors to Nashville and also to the NWA to book the world champions. You know, we wanted him on the show and, um, but, but yeah, I, I always thought Jeff was a fucking fantastic worker and Tim Raynesto, I believe is not, he's not the son of Tom Raynesto. Uh, absolutely. He's Tom Branch's brother. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of wrestling heritage there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Harden was, he, he was the former Sarge of the platoon shadow Jackson was a guy who came from South Carolina who'd gotten over doing the Friday night shows. And John Doe was another guy who was, this was just kind of a throw John Doe a bone because bless his heart. He was a, a nice guy, but he did not very good in the ring. But, but this guy, he was at every fucking Friday show without fail, would never miss a show, always willing to help out. So this was kind of like, okay, we can throw some of these guys a bone because we got to fill out two nights worth of shows. And, 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 you know, Shadow Jackson, we'll be talking more about him as we go along in this series. So, uh, so yeah. All right. Uh, next we get Jeremy V and Mike Pippen and Scott Cage going up against Lance Christian, Sean Logan, and Slim J. This one should have a lot of high spots, and we get that from the jump as Jeremy had a big aside moonsault to Slim on the floor immediately. I was surprised some that they weren't mainly traditional style six man for most of the match, but it cranked up at the end where Slim was doing some wild shit. But the Rage hit some sweet double team moves to get the win. Yeah, the guys that needed to be spotlighted were spotlighted here, Dan, and uh, yeah, so I mean it was uh, for what what it needed to be, it was just right. 
Yeah, I thought so, too. I, it was, uh, you know, I mentioned some of the other middle Georgia guys. Scott Cage was in this match, but on the opposing team, we had Lance Christian and Sean Logan. And both of those guys came with Cage and kind of from the same area and the same car load. Um, they, they tried to find their footing. They both were in and out a lot over the years, but neither one of them really caught on. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, good stuff what it was. All right, Bart Sawyer against Scotty Wren. Here's an interesting match featuring the two wildside vets. Sawyer having a smiling face on his ass cheek was something else. Wren was dominant most of the match before Sawyer threw Andrew Thomas into Scotty, who got planted before Sawyer then got planted himself. Wren then went for Big Biz, with Big Biz smashed a Twinkie in his face. Wren then chased Big Biz to the back before we see him crawling back out, bleeding profusely. Wren would crawl back into the ring where Sawyer laid him out with a DDT and Thomas made the three count. Why was Scotty Wren bleeding? Who attacked him? Well, it was the returning J.C. Daz. who ran out with a steel chair and revealed that he was the one that blooded up Wren. Continued his attack even more with a hard chair shot to the head. Yes, it was. And then Big Biz would spray whipped cream on him for good measure as well. So, yeah, we get Big Biz doing his shtick here, but... Here we are, uh, Jeff. We get the returning J.C. Das in, the, in this angle with uh, former partner Scotty Wren. Again. Yes. Uh, seems like we've done this before. <laughs> well, that's the thing about Wildside, and, you know, that's the thing. While, you, you guys talk about Wildside and Memphis, you know, being the, the spiritual spiritual kindred spirits. But uh, Memphis would do that a lot, too, where guys would show up that had history with other guys and – they would do these run-ins or, and do like these couple match deals, and then they're gone again. I mean, here we are on Wildside. We've seen that with Air Paris, and we're seeing it with J.C. Daz. I mean, that's the thing. You have these guys that have this history, and if the chance happens to happen where they're able to come back and do something, they can come back, and the fans will, you know, go right into it because they know the past history there. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with J.C. Daz versus Scotty Wren. You know, when you have a history like that, it's uh, it's fertile ground that you can revisit. And um, I thought it was a good way to get out of the match, certainly. And um, it was great, you know, to have Big Biz get his big moment, smashing the Twinkie and spraying the whipped cream all over him and stuff. Because, you know, this is uh, going to be Big Biz's last hurrah here and stuff. So it was nice to see him have some fun out there. On his birthday, his last hurrah. Sad. Very sad. But, uh, Dan, whose idea was it to bring J.C. Daz back here? Oh, your guess is as good as mine. Um, you know, he was in and out a lot. Um, him and Scotty broke up a lot and feuded and then teamed. And, you know, like Jeff mentioned, we've, we've seen this before. Um, so I, I don't really know, you know, what the deal was with him. I, we acted like he'd been in prison previously. I don't think that was actually true, but, uh, he might've like gotten arrested for a minor infraction that we fucking over-exaggerated. That's possible. But, uh, you know, he's back. He's got a grudge against Scotty Rand. It's always going to be a good match. I do have to say. Uh, if you're in a tag team in Wildside, history tells you you should probably be pretty weary of trusting your partner all the time. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right. Next, we get a Texas bull rope match with Big Henry Haas and Terry Knight. I love this because this hadn't 
I mean, basically, these guys, we, we talked about them on the last show, you know, having their matches. Then they do nothing against each other for the entire month of March. And here we are with a Texas Bull Row match <laughs> the show. Uh, both men are in white T-shirts and jeans here. So they definitely dress for the part, as you would want some blood. And we got it, but not too much. Haas got the pin as he cradled Nia after he missed a running bell smash to the corner. It's fun for what it was, but I wanted more violence. And, Jeff, I know you'll agree with me on this. You're doing a Texas bull rope match, and you got guys in white shirts. They better be fucking drenched in red at the, in a match like this, you know? This match has a legacy of, for the longest time after this, it was known as getting Henry Haas color if you shit the bed out there. And it's like, oh, you got that fucking Henry Haas color. And shit. Or Terry Knight would have been just as fine. But for some reason, Henry got more of the blame than Terry. But neither of them bled worth a shit. And even if they weren't out there in March, they had had months of buildup for this big blow-off bull rope match. And it should have been Henry Haas's crowning moment as the baby face out there, meaning he should have been drenched in blood, standing tall at the end. And he wasn't. And I honestly believe because of that, he didn't get the bump that we thought he would get from this match and this win because the blood wasn't there. And I mean, at this time in 2002, and as we have talked about being the spiritual brother of Memphis, I mean, blood is required in this spot and it wasn't produced. And um, I've always found that to be a tremendous disappointment whenever that happens and this is one of those standout ones of like wow these guys got all this build for this big bull rope match and then they got tricklers yeah i know and and dan like i said they're wearing white t-shirts i mean it's wrestling if you you know if you see somebody wearing white in a match like this i mean the blood should flow like wine no did not happen. There's a certain expectation there. That's for damn sure. And it was not delivered on in this match. This was a situation of guys that we'd kept around. We tried to keep in the mix, though their style didn't really mesh with a lot of the guys we were using. Um, these guys were both very vocal about pitching things to try to get a better spot. And so we as a compromise to them came up with this like okay well we think you guys could work together this would be a good match and you know if henry gets over here we could maybe do something with him because he's big the people like him he can move around a little bit for a big guy but just like you know his psychology was never really where it needed to be and in this case like you know he just didn't deliver the disgusting blade job that was necessary uh, it you know because had he like Jeff said had he delivered the goods here and really turned it up to eleven and seized this opportunity and made the most of it he would have become a big star in Wildside but when you're handed the ball you got to score and if you don't score somebody else is going to get the ball absolutely all right future shock went up against Derek Driver and Sal Dario Sal now has Margarita accompany him the ringside as part of his act. So he's got him a valet. 
Future Sean's been a team for a while, and they look damn good here. But Derek Asal held their own, considering they were a makeshift team. It's a pretty damn fun match with all kinds of wacky spots, including Sal crashing and burning off the top rope to the floor towards the end. Oh, <laughs> he's lucky he didn't get really fucked on, on that one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, here we are. So Derek Driver, you know, we just talked about him on the previous the TV taping. He gets a match here. You know, a good match on this on Hardcore Hell. Put with Sal. Let's go again here. So, yeah, I mean, there you go. But Future Shock, as we're going to talk about as this goes on, goes forward, I mean, they're proving here that they're ready. They're ready to move up. And uh, it, it's really good stuff here, Dan. Yeah, I thought so. We had a vested interest in really trying to build the tag team division up to something special. And we really, you know, I said we were firing on all cylinders, but the tag division was a big part of that. We had a really strong junior heavyweight division with Young Lions. Uh, The guys on top were strong. Everything was strong. And this was the undercard of the tag team division kind of coming up, showing who was next in line. Future Shock definitely looking like stars out here. And uh, I had no idea. I didn't even remember the existence of Margarita, which tells me she probably wasn't around for very long. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, probably not. But why not? Why not add a valet to his act, huh? (laughs) Why not? All right. uh, Crew Jones comes up for his match. But as Honest Music played, Jeff G. Bailey came out. He announced that Honest was too scared to show up tonight. He told Crew that he could go home if he wanted to, but Crew said he beat anyone, which led to Crew Jones against the returning Tony Stratland. Tony's back from his injury. He looked damn good here, as he didn't have any real ring rust. The crew looked good as well. Crew ended up getting the win in a good match, then said Honest was a sawed-off chicken shit midget before leaving. <laughs> All right, Jeff, so what? what's the story here? Now, was Onyx and Crew supposed to be on this on this show? Because it, they would wrestle the next show, or was this a way just to bring Tony back? I think it was supposed to be Onyx on this show, and he couldn't make it, and we ended up putting Tony in the spot. But Dan may know otherwise. I, I can't say for sure. Um, I did think Tony looked good out there. It was nice to have him back. He was out there in the all white, and. Uh, I thought he, uh, like you say, didn't have any ring rust, put on a, a good performance, but uh, obviously it was Cruz night and uh, setting up for Onyx on Saturday, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, Dan, you, what, what's your memories on this? Was, was it supposed to be Onyx here? Yes, that, that's what I recall, is that it was just like we, Tony was there. We, he was planning on coming back in the next couple shows anyway. Uh, I think we even had a spot like later where there was going to be a TNT reunion on the show. Um, so, you know, he was, I don't think we had planned on him wrestling this soon, but you know, he was set to come back on this show. Anyway, he was already there. Uh, we didn't know for sure if Onyx was going to be there the next night. So we went ahead and did this match. So crew would have something to do, but of course we did end up getting to pay it off. Yeah. And then we get the main event for night one. Ladder match with the wild side tactiles on the line as Blackout defending against the Lost Boys. These teams have feuded for quite a while now, and this match was worked like that as they go to war on each other from the jump. Lots of crazy spots for the ladders as expected. These guys had no fear in doing what it took to have this type of match. We also get some good blood here from everyone, which added to the drama as well. 
Blackout introduced a steel chair to the action and an extra layer of damage, but the Lost Boys kept fighting back. After a long battle, Gabriel would climb the ladder and retrieve the belts, becoming new champions. This is a really fucking good ladder match and a great payoff to the feud. Absolutely, Dan. This is months of build, paid off perfectly, and you couldn't want any more from that as uh, someone involved in the creative. Yeah, it was so, so good. And they were so proud of it because they worked so hard on setting up this match and coming up with cool ladder spots, but also making it make sense psychologically. And man, everything they do is so smooth and deliberate and there's no hesitation. And some of the spots that they do are so innovative and some of them so fucking rough. Um, like it's it's one of the unheralded great ladder matches in all of wrestling history. Yes, I mean this is this is on par with any ladder match in any major wrestling promotion. Absolutely, just because it's happening in Wildside, you know, doesn't mean that I mean it's lessened by any means because it's for an independent promotion. I mean, these guys went out there and they tore down the house and. Jeff, we got the blood here that we need in the Texas Bull Rope match. Yeah, I mean, these guys, they knew this was their opportunity to main event this big show on this night. And uh, they had put together a great match. There's so many huge bumps, especially those bumps on the floor, which we're going to see a lot more on night two. I mean... That floor is so insanely hard. And I mean, guys, I mean, like the Lost Boys, Gabriel would do that leg drop off oh. the apron to the floor and uh-huh. stuff. And I mean, I just, I don't think you can imagine how much that stuff hurts, how painful this match was for all four of those guys. I mean, they beat the shit out of each other with those ladders. And I mean, just throwing those ladders into each other's face and, yeah, it was a really strong, powerful match. And like Dan said, I think it's it's one of the unheralded great ladder matches of all time. I mean, there was a lot of stuff in that one that, you know, you hadn't seen in a ladder match yet in 2002. No, and uh, yeah, I mean, just a, a great way to close out night one. Absolutely. So uh, hell of a job by these, all these guys and uh, the fans got to go home happy as the Lost Boys won the belts. So, uh, yeah, great stuff. Night two on March 23rd starts up with uh, Dan Wilson announcing the return of Ruckus. Wow. Yes. Not, I mean, the Ruckus that from Wildside that we talked about on episode one is back. And uh, he's been absent from Wildside for well over two years. Jeff Baylor and Etcher come out and he greeted Ruckus and he made his career. And now that he's the boss, he wants to bring him back to his to pass glory. Ruckus said Bailey didn't do shit for him and he didn't have to deal with him for two years. Bailey talked shit to Ruckus where he got his jaw jacked. New Jack then showed up but Bailey offered him money to go up to Ruckus. Jack went nose and nose with Ruckus and he told him let's go to the Redneck Strip Bar and spend just money. Jack then cut a great promo talking about Ruckus being out of shape and he was already drunk right now. He won the former tag team saying that although they could be locked up in jail every night they hugged it out. This was a fantastic segment. I love this, Jeff. And Ruckus, I mean, what a surprise that was. Who would have thought that he would have showed back up, you know, after being gone for so long? But, again, playing off the stuff that you guys had from two years earlier, 
and then Jack coming out for his deal. I mean, yeah, there's classic wild side stuff here. Yeah, this was great. I mean, I had a memory of doing this spot with New Jack because I had a photograph of it. But uh, I didn't remember that it was on this hardcore hell or, or when it had happened or that it was coming up. So to see this pop up was was really great. And it was really fun, you know, where they, you know, night one, I come out for the big biz thing and complete dick about everything. And then here on night two, I come out here and get clowned and take my first bump of the night from ruckus before new jack takes my money and says they're gonna go spend it at the strip club and i get clowned so uh it's it's just a great segment i mean and i'm really glad that i had a moment with new jack you know like that so it was a it was a lot of fun to watch again best part about this was new jack wearing his ecw new jack jacket what a great jacket he had on there i love that but uh yeah i mean Dan, what, what, what were your thoughts on this? I mean, you never worked with Ruckus. He was in Wildside before you were there. And uh, this is, you know, a guy coming back from the past era, and we're playing off all that. And, of course, New Jack being involved is always, uh, always great. So what were your thoughts on how this played out? Well, I was first aware of the significance of Ruckus to Wildside. We tried to te- treat the guys who had, you know, been a draw there at one point like they were still somebody when they came back, and, and Ruckus was definitely one of those. So I I thought it was cool to have him back. I was aware of all the stories and all of the crazy matches and had seen the Abdullah the Butcher stuff. And I just loved how Jack could come in with no angle match anything and just do a segment like this that you'll never it'll never be followed up on you will never hear anything else of it on it again but it was a great little entertaining bit he gets the crowd you have new jack on your show and that's that so uh, this was like you know one of the best possible uses of jack in one of those spots because we did a lot of them over the years yeah, and well, I mean, Jack and Bill being close as they were, you know, you know that that you know, afforded that to happen. So, uh, yeah, that's always good. But where, yeah, where where had Ruckus been, Jeff? Do you remember uh, what was going on with him? Why he had been gone for so long? No idea. He was gone, and then I don't know how it wound up that he was there that night to do this spot. But uh, you know, like Dan said. We always welcome the guys back, especially at Hardcore Hell, and it kind of came a thing where guys would come back and, you know, have a spot to just help somebody out or something and, you know, just revisit the past of Wildside and stuff. So uh, this was really the beginning of starting to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, Wildside Mega Rumble. Yes, it's a Wildside Mega Rumble, Battle Royal, bringing back some names from the past to compete. And here are our participants. Silky Boom Boom. Yes, back in that gimmick. Dango Win making his return. Everyone's favorite, Mr. Delicious, J.C. North, still the NWA Virginia Heavyweight Champion. Cooter Calhoun. Paul Alexander. Dirt. Jerry Lewis Jr. And then Stone Mountain returns with short hair. And then, yes, the legend. Romeo Bliss. Stone Mountain coming back with short hair and eliminating everyone for Romeo Bliss made his grand return. Before Romeo Bliss made his grand return was great. Mountain would cha- charge into Romeo, but he moved. Mountain tumbled over the top, rope to the floor, allowing Romeo to win. 
Fun nostalgia trip for the longtime Wildside fans. Oh yeah, Dan, this was this was a hoot, man. And uh, yeah, Stone Mountain with short hair. How about that? And he he, he had a little weight uh, between the times he had been there last. He got a little big, but uh, yeah, it was great to see him and great to see Romeo back. Good God. Yeah, it was uh, the Bill Barron special, the Mega Rumble. You know, he's he legit is. I always say he's one of the best people in the business as far as putting together that type of match. I'd say, you know, next to Pat Patterson, he's the king of the Royal Rumble style match. Um, and it's a very hard type of match to put together. He was really proud of this one because it was all of this nostalgia. And just like we talked about with Ruckus, you know, it's something that we try to honor and we try to, uh, to, to give treats for the old fans and stuff like that. A short haired stone mountain always fucked with me because I, you know, he was just so much cooler looking with the long hair I thought, but you know, he's just so big and damn impressive. No matter what sort of hairstyle he's got, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Uh, it was great to see him here. And this was a prelude to a, a return that we'd see for mountain in the coming months. Yeah. But, yeah, Romeo's the highlight here. Even though he's not there long, but he's the highlight. And, uh, Jeff, how would you feel about how this played out? I thought it was a fun little thing. I mean, you know, you got Silky and Dango and the certified public ass kicker and Cooter Calhoun. (laughs) Their everlasting feuds continue to go on. I think Dirt was John Doe without the mask. So he was (laughs) Dirt one night the other, although I could be wrong, but I believe that no, you're right. Dan on Jerry Lewis Jr. when he came out, it's like, where are they getting these guys? <laughs> and, and, and he looks like one of Jerry's kids. <laughs> hard. I mean, I thought that was funny as hell. Um, obviously, you know, Romeo and, and Mountain coming back was the big, you know, here's our stars from the past and a nice little, you know tribute to the guys of old on hardcore hell but uh yeah the, the jerry lewis jr stuff i mean that 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 actually gave me the biggest laughter in the whole match because he comes out and he goes where are they getting these guys from <laughs> and that's a line that you would always say whenever uh like the guys would come in to uh try to make saves or your your guys are beating the shit out of people who are you <laughs> Dan's in his version of it for this. For this. <laughs> yes, I forget, how could I forget that Paul Alexander was a certified public ass kicker? Great nickname. All right. Um, we got the Wild Side TV title match next. Onyx showed up, defending his crew Jones. Uh, says, here we go again. And let's see if Onyx is here tonight. He is. He attacks crew from behind, and the battle's on. Yeah, yeah he, was, uh, he came through the other entrance. And Honest was all over crew here. Even spanks Desi on the floor at one point. Honest went up top for a moonsault, but Big Biz shook the rope, and Honest fell backwards. Crew then put on a damn football helmet and hit a diving headbutt on Honest while Speedy Nelson had his back turned, then made the count, awarding Crew the title. Honest got his heat back after the match, hitting the blackout DT on Crew. Then a superplex on Big Biz off the top rope in a great spot. Which that was Big, Big's, Big Biz's swan song. Eating that super place from Onyx. But uh, there you go. The title change is made here, Jeff. And uh, Cruz a champion. But Onyx, you know, is able to get his you know heat back later. So uh, what were your thoughts on how this played out? 
I mean, Onyx looked great out there. I thought the match was great. I love the finish with the diving headbutt. I mean, the the thing, my lasting memory of the match is Biz trying to victory lift crew up <laughs> after the match. I was in hysterics watching that shit. I mean, he's just trying to pick him up and stuff. It was funny as hell. And I mean, Big Biz getting up there for that superplex. And I mean, there's no hesitation. I mean, Onyx, once Onyx grabs him, he just powers him over in that superplex. Big Biz don't have any time to think about it or hesitate. I mean, he's just up and over. And uh, it looks fantastic. And I mean, I got to say, I've never taken a superplex. So uh, seeing Big Biz do that was a, a pretty big wow and a pretty great way to go out on. And, um, you know, he helped establish crew a little more on his way out. And uh, Big Biz was greatly missed. Yes. Yeah, he had, he had a, a great run while it lasted. Absolutely. And, you know, Dan, it's time. It's time to make Crew Jones the guy. And uh, put the TV title on him. Let's see what he can do. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's grown into this role better than we could have ever expected. Uh, he gets a great feud to completion with a top star. Uh, he's now a champion. Like it's uh, it, it that, that fucking not to go back to Big Biz and beat that drum to death, but holy shit, that fucking superplex. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he took that. I know. I would never take a fucking superplex. I say that I probably would for the right guy, but um, these days it would be very few and far between. <laughs> Big Biz is a legend. He sure is. God bless him. All right, next we get the I Quit match. Tony Mama looking against Jimmy Rave. This should be a Matt Wrestling spectacle, and they worked a good bit on the map, but Rave decided to amp it up a bit by bringing in a steel chair. And he went Tony with it numerous times, trying to get him to quit in that fashion. Yeah, I, I love that part of the match where, you know, you take an I quit match, you know, we're going to do, you know, submissions and stuff like that. No, Jimmy at one point was just beating the holy shit out of Mama Luke with a chair, trying to make him quit that way. So I, I, I thought that was great. Uh, Jimmy Lopez showed up, but Todd Sexton ran out to uh, take him to the back. Mama Luke then just destroyed Ray with suplexes around his head get him some payback, before just pounding on him, even blooding his nose. Ray would eventually get crotched on the top rope, and his leg bent back, which gave Tony the opening he needed. Mama Luke got the figure four around the ring post, and Jimmy was yelling before Bill Barons ran out to break the hold. Ray would again make a comeback out of nowhere, even took off his shirt, which showed just how fired up he was, because Jimmy always wrestled with his shirt on. Mama Luke was in deep trouble before Ray got crossed again. Mama Luke nailed the leg with a steel chair, then threw the chair at Rave's face recklessly. Tony then went for a modified stretch muffler. Rave was screaming in pain. Barons was looking on closely, then threw a towel in to stop the match. Fans chanted bullshit at the finish. Rave said he never gave up before rolling out of the rink. Um, yeah, I mean, Jimmy never said I quit, Dan, so that's something that you can use for the future, but yeah, this was a hell of a damn match here. Oh, I thought it was outstanding. The technical wrestling very much looked like a struggle. The fighting looked like a fight. Um, Mama Luke really guided Jimmy through this in, in his way, but Jimmy held his own just as well. 
And I think it was a breakout performance and for Jimmy as well in a lot of ways because it showed a different side of him. Um, it showed a more aggressive side of him at times. We never, you know, Jimmy's always getting his ass whipped and making the big baby face come back and barely surviving by the skin of his teeth. There's a few times in this, he's the aggressor, which is foreshadowing a later heel turn. The finish is even the, the start of a slow burn towards Jimmy being a heel down the road. Yes, absolutely. And uh, Jeff, what are your thoughts on the finish? Uh, do you think that that was a cheap finish, or what are your thoughts on this? You know, it's interesting because I did not hate the finish at the time, but Bill considers it like one of the most regrettable finishes that he ever came up with. He, I, he had told me in the past that he thinks that that was one of the bigger mistakes he had made as a finish. And I checked with him today to see if that was right. And he said, yeah, that, that he still thought that, but, uh, it obviously helped with Jimmy turning heel down the road, which, um, Dan just referenced and stuff. But, uh, I did not hate the finish. He, uh, he really hated it. The crowd shit on it. Um, it's hard to say if it was the right kind of shitting on it or if they shitted on it because they hated it. I couldn't really tell from the bullshit chant. And my memory at the time wasn't that they rejected it wholeheartedly as a shit finish that Bill had thrown in the towel. But I know that Bill certainly looked back on it and wished he had not done the finish that way. I thought the match was fucking great. Though. Yes, absolutely. And, and and the only time that an I quit match worked where the guy didn't actually say I quit was Magnum and Tully. Because Tully never said I quit. Right. And he would bring that up in the promos as well. I never said I quit. So, yeah. But anyway, even finish with, with standing. Fantastic. Fantastic match. All right. We follow that up with false cut anywhere. Jason Cross gets Caprice Coleman. Both men have been recently banned from the building because their rivalry had gotten too heated. But now they can do whatever they want. Caprice talking shit to the camera before Cross came flying right into his face was an awesome spot. And this fucking war was on. Yes, one of the best things I've, I saw in this whole thing. Caprice is, you know, talking shit as he's entering, you know, the, the entranceway right there at the camera. And all of a sudden, here's Jason Cross's body just showing up <laughs> right there in his face. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, they brawl all over the building, including Caprice to the announce desk, while beating on Cross starts singing, How much is that doggy in the window? <laughs> Which was great. There's so much going on here. Both guys went wild. Finish was kind of weak, though. Sweet Dreams barely hit Caprice with a steel chair, leading to Cross hitting a dragon suplex, although that was nice to get the win. Then Adam and Jeff a jump Caprice, demand that Dreams join in, but all of a sudden he attacked the Elite. Right after he hit Caprice with a steel chair. Well, I guess he had a moment of clarity. All right. The match itself. Let's talk about the match. Yes. These guys, you know, went out there, you know, had a tremendous match. You know, it's expected with these with these two guys. But Jeff, that finish. Ooh, I mean, you ju we just had Sweet Dreams hit Caprice with a chair. And then while you guys are attacking him, he decides that he wants to be with his brother again. What? Okay, now, 
he didn't hit him with the chair. He was holding the chair up, and the head got ran into the okay, chair. Okay, you're right. You're right. I forgot about there that. Was, there yeah. was no swinging of the chair. Um, you're right. Uh, is it rushed and awkward? Yes. But at the same time, the people had wholly rejected Sweet Dreams as a heel and wanted him back with Caprice. And it was the right decision to make. He was better with Caprice yes. than he was not with Caprice. So I don't reject the decision of having to do it. The way we did it was a little ham-fisted, but uh, the match itself, there was so many great spots. I mean, with Caprice ringing the bell and Jason's ear I thought was hilarious. Where they're fighting up in the booth, I mean, Dan can tell you, there's just a little stairway to get up there and then to get, I mean, there's zero room up there. It's so small. I mean, that flying corkscrew dive that Jason did, I mean, they had so many hard bumps on the floor i mean i thought the match was great i ended up with my second bump of the night from sweet dreams um yeah i really really like the match a lot what they did but the finish is you know it is what it is basically but he didn't swing the chair You're right you just right. held the chair up so it's not as bad as you made it sound oh uh, it's not but this th- it, the whole thing would have went so much better if he didn't even get involved. If, yes, he, if, I, he did, if he doesn't get involved in the finish at all, and he's just standing on the floor and, and seeing this go on and then makes the move to come back in to help his brother, then yeah, that makes it a lot better in execution. That that That's what stood out to me. You're right. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, Dan, what were your thoughts on how this played out? Uh, this match was fucking phenomenal, as it always is when Jason and Caprice were together, but they were really doing some insane shit. Like Jeff said, hard-ass bumps on the floor, just really working their asses off. Um, some of Caprice's earliest commentary experience now, the world-famous AEW commentator uh, and and my pal Caprice, uh, some of his earliest commentary experiences was either with me or Prazak in the booth in the middle of a match where he'd grab one of our headsets <laughs> and start talking shit while he was beating somebody's ass um, or a situation where they just ran us out of the booth entirely and took the headsets. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love that. The finish... I'm with y'all. It was a little clunky. Probably could have been better. I mean, as the commentator who can try to find logic in anything, I can see the logic of, uh, well, you know, say Sweet Dreams was reluctant to go along with this anyway, but maybe he needed the money. Maybe his kid needed new shoes, and Jeff G. Bailey is paying him the money to to turn on his his brother, but he doesn't really want to do it. He feels like he's got to do it. So when they ask him to get in here, okay, it's one thing to just kind of get involved, but when they ask him to get in and like jump him three on one and seriously injure his brother, that's too much. He says, fuck this. I'm not going to do it and turns on the elite. So there's your explanation. There you go. Let's lay it out right there. So there it is. All right. Um, Next, we get the Wildside Junior Heavyweight title. Jeremy Lopez defending against Todd Saxton. Todd getting a big spotlight singles match here and looks damn good as he and Lopez work great against each other. 
Lots of high impact moves. The hard strikes here from both men. Todd was getting ready to hit a super kick, but Tony Mamaluke showed up, allowing Sexton to eat a DDT by Lopez, but he didn't get pinned. Mamaluke didn't strengthen Andrew Thomas, and Lopez used the belt on Sexton, but that couldn't put him down either. Then Tony Stratton ran out to stretch to Mamaluke, so Sexton could hit him with a super kick, but that didn't finish Lopez off. Mamaluke Stratton would brawl in the apron, which crossed Sexton, allowing Lopez to hit a big one-arm DDT off the top rope to get the win. So, yeah, Lopez, you know, retains his title, beats Todd, but, you know, the, the other guys are involved as well. So, again, but again, all in all, Dan, another really solid match here between these guys. And this show is, you know, a theme for this show so far. You know, all these shows are delivering. I mean, these matches are delivering on this show. Absolutely. We talked about, you know, how this was kind of a teaser for Todd's future singles run while Tony was out of commission for a while. Now Tony's back from his injuries, so we're kind of wrapping things up here, it looks like, with the Todd and Lopez feud for the moment. And uh, Tony's back, and we're going to reunite TNT. I, I thought Todd and Lopez always had great chemistry. I actually think Lopez brought the best out of Todd every time they wrestled and was one of Todd's all-time best singles opponents. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, yeah, Sexton had, was, was looking good as a singles guy, but, Jeff, it was time to bring TNT back together again now that Tony's back. Yeah, I mean, TNT was red hot as a tag team in that mix with the Lost Boys and Blackout before Tony got hurt. So it's uh, great to have him back to get back to that. But, I mean, Todd really did shine in this singles run, and I'd never really thought about it until Dan had just said that. But, yeah, I think Jeremy Lopez really brought the best in Todd out because every time they were out there together, it was tremendous. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, Jeremy Lopez is a hell of a, a wrestler, you know, so, but absolutely, yeah, G- really good for each other. All right, next we get the big semi-main event, Adam Jacobs against Dustin Timberlake. The stipulation is that if Jacobs loses, then Dustin gets five minutes with Jeff G. Bailey. If Dustin loses, then he's done in Wildside using any gimmick. Dustin comes out and he fights Jacobs. Before Laz's music hits, and he morphed into Laz behind Adam's back in a fun spot. Jacobs was trying to put Laz away early on, but it didn't work as Laz came fighting back, and it was definitely fun seeing the old Laz spots again. Speedy Nelson tried to stop Jacobs from using a chair, and that set up Laz hit the big Britney Spear, but that was only for a near fall. Laz would even hit his own version of the Bulldog Jam for a near fall in a fun deal. Jacobs would throw Laz into Speedy, and then he got a chair, which he used right on Laz's head, but it didn't put him away. Jacobs went for another chair shot, but Laz got him one of his own at the same time, but Jacobs kicked out of that. Jacobs then crotched Laz, drop kicked in three times in the corner, hit the Bulldog Jam, won the match. All right, we were talking about this earlier, Jeff, you know, with how, you know, this thing had been building up and blah, 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 and now we've had this, the match and the finish. So, yeah, how, how did you think all this played out? I mean, even watching it this time around, it was like my jaw just kind of dropped on how anticlimactic that finish was of the heel just beating him clean as a sheep mm-hmm. right in the middle with his finish with, I mean, 
it was jarring to see, but it's for a reason. And the reason is because what we're going to do with Laz going forward. But as far as that goes and regrettable booking decisions, I mean, Bill didn't like throwing in the towel for Jimmy. I would say I don't like killing off Laz and Dustin Timberlake for what we're going to do with him going forward. And uh, I don't know, knowing all that stuff just kind of put a damper on this as the last match. But again, it was to see him just get beat so cleanly like that was, I don't know. It felt weird. I mean, in the situation that what's going on in this match with the stipulation, you would think that the booking would have, you know, predicated that you somehow get involved or you have somebody get involved to help save your ass where you won't have to be yeah. in that five minutes. Not Adam Jacobs winning clean as a fucking sheet. It didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I mean, you could still have the heel win the match, absolutely, but do it in a way where the crowd's going to be pissed off that the heel won the match. Not like, wait a minute, he just won decisively here. I mean, Dan, you're involved in the creative at the time. Do you remember what kind of the rationale was here for doing this type of finish in this match? No, I don't remember. I know that this was one of the things that we all kind of, like me, Jeff, and Bill, I guess all kind of had different ideas for this thing. And Laz had his own ideas as well. And Adam had his own ideas as well. And so there, that was who was all were probably involved in the creative of this. And I, it just didn't work out. It was, it was a shame in hindsight. I would have just put Laz over and had him get his five minutes with Jeff here. Um, if knowing what we were going to do instead that, ruined his value in the building like the the what we do to follow this up like jeff says is the worst booking we ever did of anything in Wildside. it's total dog shit and it it totally cuts the fucking legs off of one of the biggest stars we had in the company and he's never the same after it exactly and the fact i mean the whole dustin timberlake thing still had so much legs on it too like you were talking about earlier and the fact that yes, now he's proven that he can morph into Laz as well at the same time. Yeah, not having the makeup, but still morphing into Laz when needed. I mean, you, you're watching this match go along. You're like, wow. I mean, th- this is another ad- added element to the whole deal. And then he loses clean in the middle of the ring. Yeah, this is of of all the stuff we talked about in this whole series. This is one of the biggest question marks of the whole thing so far is this finish. Yeah, like, it turns into this weird, like, morality tale of, like, gender identity or some shit. I don't know what the fuck Bill was on with with some of the stuff that uh, we tried to do with Laz after this. Because basically, like, I was just going to say, we strip him of his gimmick. He yeah. becomes that guy. And so he's just a guy with no music and tights. And I guess the idea was eventually, hopefully, to get back to Laz... Uh, but I think he gets so fucking frustrated with it. He just says, nah, I'm good in a few months and basically bails on the whole thing. So spoiler alerts, but that's why we're so pissy about this. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to it later on. But yeah, that's that's the 
the end game of it, sadly. But mm, who knows what could have been? Absolutely. Well, we got the main event next. Three-way dance for the Wildside Heavyweight title. AJ Styles defending against Rip Michaels and David Young. There's just so much going on here. Well, it's not main event. Excuse me. The, the, this is the real semi-main event. I'm sorry. I misquoted myself. There's so much going on here to keep track of. But uh, everyone was just busting their asses, working hard, doing all kinds of spots. Off each, another one's mistakes. There was one wild spot where AJ was on the apron and Rick threw David into him, knocking him into the crowd, which is crazy. AJ hit a wild jumping off the barricade senton onto David and Rick as they were fighting, which was awesome. Young to side moose off the ropes onto a table on the floor was crazy as hell, too. Oh, my God. I thought he was dead. And uh, Styles at one point had Rick beat with a Styles clash with Jeff rolling to the ring as a distraction. Jeff then slid Rick a steel chair where he had the double shot on Styles to eliminate Styles, which Dan Wilson chanted bullshit about. So... Rick didn't demand security to get David Young's lifeless body in the ring, which they do. Rick covered David, but he finds a way to kick out, which prompted Rick to deck Andrew Thomas. Jeff then held the chair up, but AJ kicked it in Jeff's face, and then Speedy Nelson ran out before Rick laid him out with a double shot and threw him out of the ring. Rick then set up a table as bodies are everywhere, but David hit a big spine buster through the table. Andrew Thomas revived, counted the pinfall, giving David the championship. Crowd went wild. AJ rolled back in the ring, congratulated David for winning the title in a great spot, made even greater when David brought his son into the ring. The same kid that Rick hit uh, weeks earlier. But, yeah, this this was tremendous. Um, it was a three-way. Really, really worked well. And then AJ getting eliminated first was like the big surprise. Like, whoa, okay. And, you know, made total sense, though, because Rick and David was really the story here. And they they, you know, they do their deal. And you get a lot of the, you know, the false finishes and stuff like that. And, yeah, I mean, for what it was and, and what it was supposed to do, Dan, I mean, the, you, you probably couldn't ask for much more than this. Yeah, this is definitely in probably the top five or ten considered greatest matches in Wildside history. Um just i mean it's one of the better three-way dances in history as well so you got uh at least on the indies for sure you know uh, it's just it's so well executed it was another one of those matches that got people talking about wild side on the message boards and in the tape trading communities it's one of the matches that was specifically traded around um it was a big deal and and in all accounts probably had a lot to do with David Young getting opportunities that he would get uh, with TNA and other things as well. It was just uh, just fucking top notch. A one, one of the best things we ever did. Yes. Jeff, you're involved heavily in this match. Do you think you may have been, you may have been involved too much in this match. I'll tell you, I did not remember I was involved this much in the match until we watched it. Um, <clears throat> I knew I had a spot in the match, and that's what I remember. But yeah, I was in it a good bit. And of course, I had my third bump of the night <laughs> when AJ kicked the chair in my face, and I was motionless on the floor and had to be helped to the back. Um, the match has so many great things. The, the the spot where AJ gets knocked off the apron into the crowd and they catch him is one of those like perfectly timed things that it wouldn't have looked that good, 
if they did it a hundred more times, it would have never looked that good again. David's bump on the table Ooh. was like, when I watched that thing, I just thought, yeah, that destroyed Harley races insides on a bump <laughs> lesser than that. You know, I mean, so David selling for as long as he did was completely believable. And then getting the security to drag him back into the ring, I just thought was hilarious. And he had that big kick out. So, I mean, that match is definitely considered one of the uh, upper tier matches in Wildside history. I've had several people tell me it was their favorite match in the building's history. So uh, it really held up. And I was surprised I had that much involved in it. But uh, I was involved a lot with this Rick stuff here during this little period with no real explanation for any of it. But there I was. Man, that was just, that was fucking great. Uh, I mean, it, these guys, you know, their history and everything, and just how everything played off. I mean, it's just it's, it's fantastic stuff. And AJ, I mean, he's doing so much now, it's time to get that belt off of him, you know? He's becoming a worldwide guy, and he's not going to be able to be in Cornelia all the time. So, yeah, it's time to get the belt off of him and move on. And uh, David was the right guy at this time, absolutely. All right, so now we get uh, some promos regarding the main event. This is part of the hype for the really good Tank Iceberg Cage of Horrors match from Hardcore Hell. Bailey talked about what Iceberg would do to Tank would be not compared to the death he's seen in person as an attorney. And you uh, finished with one of the, this is Tom Green's uh, writing here. What Tom Green's personal favorite lines of, of Jeff's ever said: "Tank, you're gonna die." Tell Satan I said hi. <laughs> and then you cut a promo uh, behind the cage. And uh, you try to describe what Iceberg is going to do to Tank, including carve him up like a barb- with barbed wire and a veggie peeler, which Iceberg makes look like a deadly weapon. Then you grabbed an apple and went into complete violent orgasmic mode as Iceberg pushed the apple through the cage, shredding it in the process, explaining how the apple represented Tank's head. And Jeff said that he's preparing to make Iceberg watch snuff films and episodes of Seventh Heaven. (laughs) Hilarious. The promo ends with a close-up of Iceberg and Bailey off-camera saying, Iceberg, you're a killer. That was my very first promo where I got to put an apple through the cage, which I had been wanting to do since I was probably 10 years old and saw it for the first time in Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. So uh, that that promo remains pretty precious to me after all these years and stuff because it was my first one where I got to do that, and uh, that was really exciting. And I love the uh, – Snuff films and Seventh Heaven line. That's that's really funny. <laughs> and and yeah. I, I got into this screaming frenzy at the end, and I mean, you can see Iceberg just starting to vibrate. Like he just gets so fired up by it, you know. He's just like trembling and stuff. It's it, it really stands the test of time. It's it's a really good one. Oh yeah, it's it's great shit. Absolutely. Which you had to send to us because, uh, I mean, when you watch the Hardcore Hell show, it's not on there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because I know that thing aired on television, and uh, it's so weird because they weren't supposed to 
air the in-ring that they did because we had done that one and the other one that Tom had referenced, but they didn't air the first one, but I'm sure the second one aired. Dan, I'm right that that definitely aired on the TV, correct? You did what? This is all part of this editing shit. Um, there were, So oftentimes we would do these promos that he would not get in the edit until like the recap show. So it, if I'm not mistaken, that promo actually aired on the recap show and not on any of the TVs prior. Um, so and then, of course, you were pissed because two of the same fucking promo aired and then everyone was pissed because of uh, this main event that we're about to talk uh, about getting cut off on at least the initial pressing of the home video release. I think build made him fix it and we re-released it if I'm not mistaken, but there was a lot of VHSs that went out to fans that had the ending cut off of this cage of horrors. And that was the Steve mistake. And I think what led to the final blow up that him and bill were no longer associated. Well, let's talk about the match cage of horrors. Tank against Iceberg. There are weapons inside the cage, and this promises to be insanity, and it was. Nothing pretty here as far as in-ring wrestling. This was just two men beating each other with whatever they could and causing severe harm to the other one. Tank powerbombed Iceberg and the thumbtacks was fucking wild as both, men's were, both men were bleeding all over the place. Tank used a sickle, and Iceberg even had his own sickle and used it on Tank, which was a hoot. After 10 minutes, the first man to leave the cage would win the match. So Tank tried to leave, and Bailey slammed the door on his head, naturally, which kept him in the cage. Iceberg then climbed up the top rope but missed a somersault senton, and Iceberg was huge at this time. Tank laid him out with the Yakuza kick, then leaves the cage as he swung the door into Jeff, knocking him down. A hell of a hardcore match there to end the weekend. Yeah, I mean, th- this was, you know, great stuff as far as hardcore action and everything. But the thing I have about this match is the 10-minute rule that, you, you know, you had to be in the cage for 10 minutes before you could escape. Um, do we really need the escape finish in this, Dan? Or could we just have the straight cage match where that's not – I mean, you could escape if you wanted to, but that wasn't, you know, the way to end the match that you basically, you know, it was a, a straight cage match and – whatever. I mean, you could leave if, if you wanted to, and that would work, or you could pin him in the cage, or whatever. I mean, what what are your thoughts on how this played out here? I was happy with it. I, the escape was a necessary finish. It was one of those old school, like, we're not pinning Iceberg, and Tank has to win this match to accomplish what we need to accomplish in the future. And so, I mean, we maybe could have executed it different, but I thought it was kind of a unique concept that it was basically like they had to survive 10 minutes of torture and then you could escape. So then the first person that escaped would win. But you, you know, there was a time limit that you had to endure whatever the cage of horrors did to you. For the first 10 minutes. So, yeah, no, I, I thought as far as protecting both guys, it was an excellent finish. And, of course, this feud and this match creates a bond between these two guys outside of the ring where they become best friends and later become a tag team in their own right. Oh, God, yes. And, uh, I mean, leaving the cage is one thing. And, and you know, the door and, and Tank able to throw in the Jeff and everything. 
But maybe maybe it would have been better if Tank would have climbed out the cage. I mean, maybe that would have made it a little bit better. I don't know. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to – I mean, this match was, was, like I said, a great hardcore match. And, uh, Jeff, you're there at ringside for all this. I mean, this is, you know, months of build here, great promos, angles. Um, did you think that it came off like it should have came off? Do you think it could have been better? I mean, what, what were your thoughts on how, how it ended up going? Well, I mean, imagine the pressure of headlining this show following that three-way match. I mean, and this thing has been built, and it has promised bloodshed. I said the match was going to be sanctioned murder, that Iceberg was going to kill Tank. So, I mean, we've made a lot of heavy promises. And honestly, this is really the first death match that we did in Wildside, and we didn't do many of them, but this was basically promoted as a death match, but at the same time, what did they get in the ring? They got a broken table, some chairs, and what they brought from home. I mean, they didn't even get a trash can or a trash can lid, for fuck's sake. Wait, wait, wait real, real, they, real quick, why you brought that up, it just had me think of this question. Do you think the fact that we had seen all that stuff already used heavily on this same night may have diluted it? Well, I mean, it's 2002. People still go crazy for a table break-in, and we've seen some tables broken in the match prior, so we end up with broken table pieces to use in the match. Um, would it have mattered if there was a full table? No, not really. I don't think the table would have mattered or even the garbage can or the garbage can lid, but it's just, there wasn't a lot of stuff put out there for those guys that they didn't bring themselves. I mean, we kind of put this match together and it was me and Iceberg and Tank and what we loved about bloody brawling wrestling. And we wanted to have that kind of match to headline a show called Hardcore Hell, you know, to follow this great three-way wrestling match. Um, they both bled a lot. They both hit each other very hard. Iceberg missing the ELE, the ex- Extinction level event, which was his big flipping <laughs> senton. I love that of, name. I mean, there's there was a lot to love about that match, and like Dan said, it was a match that you know set a lot of things in motion going forward with Iceberg and Tank and bloodshed in the building and stuff like that. So, uh, I definitely am extremely pleased with it as a whole. I mean, I think they could have had some more stuff in the ring that that the promotion should have provided for them. But, you know, we were on a budget. We didn't have a lot. And they they brought what they brought. And um, they fought hard and they bled a lot. And it stood out and the people loved it and embraced it. And uh, it managed to, to leave everyone satisfied leaving on a great note for a great show. And that's all you want. You want the fans to go home happy and to, uh, to be satisfied and tank one. I mean, the baby face won. no matter how you look at it, how it happened, he won. And I mean, you got blood, you know, you, you got violence. 
It could have been more. Yeah, it could have been more. But you got, I mean, you got enough of what you, of what you needed to get by. And, uh, yeah, so uh, a great way to end the month of March in hardcore hell. So that is it for us on this show. So um, real quick, uh, Dan, uh, this is plug time. You're very busy these days uh, touring with uh, Tank and doing things. So uh, talk about what's going on in, in, in your guys' future here. Oh, we've we got dates coming up. Lots of, of dates all over the place. Lots in the South and uh, more that we haven't announced. So follow me on social media to get all the scoops at Rev Dan Wilson on Twitter, at Rev Dan Wilson on Instagram. Uh, you can also follow my production company, One Good Scare Productions, at OG Scare on Twitter. Um, we've got dates coming up for ICW No Holds Barred, July 22nd, 23rd in Chattanooga. Um, that's the next big thing that we've got coming up. So we'll just leave it at that for now because some of the other stuff after that hasn't been formally announced. But yeah, we're we're going lots of places again. Be sure to watch Uncharted Territory every Monday night on IWTV through the end of the summer. Uh, we've got about six big episodes left of this so uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but uh, if you don't catch it live, go watch the replay. We have a big July 4th spectacular that will have Cruel, the heathen Cruel, taking on Slade in a death match uh, in the main event. And uh, that's big action coming from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, like I said, follow me on social media. You'll get all the details. Yeah, absolutely. Uncharted Territory. Really good stuff to watch, folks. So. Weekly thing every Monday. You can watch it live, watch it on demand, and uh, a lot of good young talent coming through the South, the Chattanooga, and yeah, go check that out. Good stuff. And uh, yeah, Tanks been working a lot lately, and, and we know with Dan. So there's a lot of matches around on you know ICW and other other stuff. So uh, go search them out. It's always uh, always a fun watch. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff, you got anything you want to plug, my man? I do not have anything to plug. People can follow me on Facebook at Jeff G Bailey or Twitter at Jeff G Bailey one. Uh, I don't post a lot. I don't have a lot to say right now. Not doing a whole lot. I will be in Chattanooga to see Dan and tank and ICW. That's uh, the next big thing. I think we have coming up is some concerts and, you know, stuff like that. But, not a lot to plug these days. Being retired, there's there's not a lot to uh, share with people. There you go. Need- Living the good life. You're retired now, so yeah, not out there uh, making towns or whatever. So uh, yeah, good God times. Forbid. Good times. All right, next month. Well, next month, next show, we'll be discussing April and probably May of uh, 2002. So. Uh, We'll continue where we left off and see where we go from there as uh, Wildside is progressing into the year 2002 a little further. And, uh, yeah, well, so we'll have uh, a lot to talk about on that show. So, uh, everybody, uh, be prepared for that. And it should always be uh, a great time doing these shows. Always great stories and uh, fun talking about uh, the great NWA Wildside. Well, on that note, Jeff, Dan, thanks, as always, for uh, being on with me. And uh, we will do this again very soon. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State.
Of Georgia.